Hello and welcome to the conversation. I'm Heil Russell. Heil, now as you may know, when I'm on a podcast, I like to play the game that is relevant to the discussion. Uh-huh. Uh, in that ca- in this case, it may be a little uh, a little ill advised of me, but I, I think I don't think it's coming through too bad. Can you hear anything on your end? No, this is great. I I'm completely fine with the quality and how this is going to turn out this is is great i think this is going to be award-winning actually (laughs) it's the only it's it'll be the only episode of the conversation that's even less listenable than the donkey kong man tube uh episode that's that is my goal here Uh i'm josh wallen hi josh wallen from off of the geek critique welcome back the very same. Thank you. Welcome back to the podcast. Yeah. So it's it's always a big deal when you're here in the co-host chair. And I, you know, I don't like to break you out too often because it has to be <laughs> a, a special occasion. And for whatever reason. Right. I mean, like, Tommy was never more popular than he was when he was the Green Ranger because he, he, he wasn't always there, right? Right. And and yes. I, sometimes his his, uh, his his dragon shield thing would be all rigid, <laughs> and sometimes it would be big and puffy. And you're like, what? What was this filmed in yeah. two different continents? And with, that would be silly. That's impossible. Uh, no. So, Josh, we are approaching. Going to make you feel old. Going to make me feel old. We're approaching the twentieth anniversary later this year. Of the rare buyout. I don't, I don't, I'm so used to this stuff at this point. I don't, yeah. I don't know if you can make me feel old anymore. No, I, I know that's just, that's such a cliche thing to say. I'm going to make you feel old <laughs> like right that. now. Um, I, I, I have friends in their late twenties who are constantly going on about that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, no, I've, I've, I've been there already. I've been through that. I'm used to it now. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something anniversaries have less and less meaning. They carry less and less weight the more we get. I remember when it was a big deal that Banjo-Kazooie turned 15, right? And, and now, yeah. you know, it's turning 25 next year. <laughs> it's just, it's whatever. Anniversaries everywhere, 20, 25, 30, 40. But it's the 20th anniversary of the buyout later this year. And the last thing I want to do on the conversation or via DK Vine is to relitigate the battles and fandom wars that ignited from that buyout. But this time it's not my fault. Uh, I'm, I didn't start this. <laughs> I'm just responding to it as the responsible content creator and, and curator of Donkey Kong journalism that I am. So, Apologies all around for those who may be like, I thought we were past this, Heil. I, 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 why, why, why are we dredging up ancient history? Well, it's because the former Nintendo COO, Nintendo of America COO, dredged it up for us. And it seemed like as good a time as any to revisit <laughs> Donkey Konga. <laughs> On this episode, and Josh, you're here because I, I said 
when I was promoting this episode, something like, you know, when we're dealing with dashed expectations and, uh, you know, the, the passing of generations, who better to discuss it than the geek critique? Because I, I feel... Yeah, I was like, I saw that and I was like, what? Well, I- is the geek critique just inherently like the personification of this? No, I, I I feel like you and I are similar in that we have a very um measured view of, of the passing of the years and and how things go in cycles and. I I, I feel like this is something we talk about time and time again. When you're on, oh, this I agree. I totally agree. Actually, yeah this this comes up in episodes that where where you wouldn't think it would come up if if we're together. I think it's I think it's an effect of the fact that one we're both just the kind of people who go on like Wikipedia benches for things we're not we're not even in, interested in. Right. Two, we have a strong interest and fascination with fandom. Yeah. Three, we've both been a part of this fandom for decades. So <laughs> right, yeah, I we 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 can kind of see the history. We can see the cycles repeating because we've personally experienced it. That that's true, and you know, we then like to impart that wisdom that comes with age to to a yeah. society and culture that doesn't appreciate uh, age aged wisdom. Uh, we we like to impart it back and say, "Hey, chill the f out, everyone." It's going to be okay. Um, but no, I, I've been wanting to have you back on the podcast. We've discussed uh, doing a video uh, for DK Vine's channel coming up. Uh, but I, I, I'm still very, very early in pre-production on my end. And so I was like, well, you know, it'd be great to get Josh back on the conversation before that. And then this kind of fell into my lap and... I didn't talk about it last week because I was like, I, I want to wait to do it a proper episode about it. So here we are. We're talking about if Donkey Konga hurt the Donkey Kong brand. And this is a mm. layered subject <laughs> that we're going to get into. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, though. So I'm always looking forward to any episode with you. So welcome back. Really quick. Wh- well, dude, the feeling is mutual. Yes. Been looking forward to this all week. I did want to plug our respective wares. Uh, we'll keep it simple this time. YouTube. Hey, I, I know it doesn't seem like it. I know uh, it, it doesn't often come up. DK Vine does have a YouTube channel. It's more just a repository, mostly, for uh, old Twitch VODs and, where you know, another avenue to listen to the conversation if you don't use the various podcast, podcasting uh, networks. <laughs> you know, if you just want to listen to it on YouTube, you have that option. And Matt Corner songs. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. Uh, <laughs> like I said, I am working on a video right now, but our videos are irregular and infrequent just because, you know, the whole YouTube demonetization thing that they still won't uh, respond to my emails about. So uh, I'm so sorry about that. That's that's been going on for years. It, now. it has. It has. And, you know, if if my YouTube channel was more successful, maybe they would respond to me. But I don't have any incentive to make it more successful because they won't respond to me. It's it's a vicious cycle there. But hey. 
subscribe to it all the same, dkvine.com forward slash YouTube or youtube.com forward slash dkvine. Again, works both ways. And, uh, you know, you, you, you get some good stuff in there. At the very least, you can watch DK Vine done slows. I'm on Banjo-Kazooie right now. I just uploaded Treasure Trove Cove tonight. I, it's just my slow run series where I play DKU games excruciatingly slow. And yeah, I, I stream it on Twitch, but then the archived VODs go up on YouTube and you can watch them forever there. And uh, yeah, it's 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 been fun. It's been fun to do a uh, kind of a, a walkthrough series my way without any... Um, Without putting on any airs, you know, like this is the content I'm making. Screw it. I don't. I'm not going to play well. I'm not going to. <laughs> and the best thing about slow running games is that there's there's no reason to cheat at them. There's no reason to to like. I'm just wondering if if eventually slow running will become a category unto itself. If people will will challenge themselves to take as much time as possible playing games. Uh, for for the and there will be lots of community drama about it. For the first installment, I swear I spent five minutes looking at Banjo's curtains in his house, analyzing <laughs> them, discussing why they are those colors, and um, just that kind of stuff. You know, I, I go into the development of the game, the history, the evolution, the in-universe lore implications of things. Just just the stuff I like to do here in the conversation, but with a visual aid. So it's DK Vine done slow, and you can find the archives of that on our YouTube channel. But Josh, I, I, I don't I feel silly promoting your YouTube channel. You're you're a big fucking deal these days. And uh, well, thank you. The most recent video. Uh, my, my videos are also irregular and inconsistent, but for different reasons. Well, yes, but they are high quality. It it it's like. Uh, it's like getting a uh, a new feature film you really want to watch. Maybe not as long, but you know, it's it the quality is still that high. And most recently you did a video uh for April Fool's Day actually mm-hmm. uh on Donkey Kong Country 3, a game that you and I have had a few rows about over the years. Yeah, I mean, you you years ago you punched me in the face through the internet somehow. I don't know how, I still don't understand how you did that, but you were that upset about it. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy Donkey Kong Country 3. Like, I will admit it's not quite to the caliber of Donkey Kong Country 2, but I, I enjoy it because it's so different, because it's not trying to best its predecessor. It, it goes in its own wild direction, and I, I quite enjoy it. But yeah, you've infamously been a, a a critic, a geek cr- cr- critic, if you will, and uh, well, that's why I call it that. Yeah, your your new video, you you kind of uh, you kind of have a new perspective on it. It was very fascinating. Yeah, so so I originally made a video on Donkey Kong Country Three in what was actually my first year of doing like geek critique retrospectives in this style. It was it was one of the earliest th- earliest things I covered. And, you know, back then I was just getting started. I was still pretty inexperienced at this and pretty inexperienced um, at a lot of aspects of, like, how to cover a game from your childhood, I guess. Mm -hmm. 
And so seven years ago, I went into the I went into making a video on DKC three. Basically, I wrote almost the whole script without actually playing much of the game because <laughs> I'm like, I remember how it hit in like ninety six, ninety seven. Like, I I I know I know what I think of this game, and that just that that was my undoing. Yeah, <laughs> basically. So I can so I came back to it. Um, you know, seven years later. With with like the things I've learned in that time, and I'm like, I, I I came away with a completely with a completely different perspective on it, and a much more much more nuanced appreciative perspective, I think. And like you said, a lot of the issue with it, at least for me, was just relentlessly compa- holding it up to DKC two. Yeah. Yeah, and like not being able to like get around that comparison. Yeah, and, and for me, like DKC two is so perfect. Like, I don't think it will ever be eclipsed in my mind, right? Like, I, I will never expect the game to be better than Donkey Kong Country 2, which is a sobering realization to have that a, like, probably for the rest of my life, I will never have a video game that will hit me in all the right spots, like a game from 1995 did, right? I'm done. <laughs> but it's fine. That's fine because I can always appreciate that game, and I can appreciate other games a little bit less than it's. It, it works out, but um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, feel like this is surprisingly relevant to the upcoming episode discussion, which yes. is because, like that sort of comparison of holding what you want against what you get is I think what would become much, much more relevant to both of us during the buyout era than it was <laughs> far, far more so than it was uh, like when DKC three came out. Yeah. It's a little bit different when the same studio that was responsible for the games you liked releases one, you know, a year later uh, on the same system, you know, as part of the same series, <laughs> uh, utilizing, you know, much of the same characters and, and, you know, continuing the story than it is, you know, uh, well, we'll talk about all those circumstances, won't we? Why yeah, yeah. Why am I getting ahead <laughs> of myself? But yeah, I mean, that's one thing that I have grown to appreciate doing this for as long as I have, where my views do evolve. And, and I'm perfectly fine saying, hey, I was wrong about that. I overreacted. I like that too much. I didn't like that enough, you know, um, and, and just sort of, changing the scales a little bit as time goes on and how I perceive things. It's the beautiful thing about being human and being cognizant of our own brains and how the human mind works and, you know, just admitting our fallacies and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, giving a warm embrace to something you didn't really like the first time around. Maybe something will hit you at a different time in your life much better than it would where you were at that particular moment in time. All perfectly yeah. relevant to what we're about to discuss. Um, not so much with Donkey Konga. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but relevant to the era in general, right, let's say. Right, yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, The Geek Critique, it is my favorite YouTube channel. Check it out. Subscribe. Follow. Whatever you have to do on YouTube, uh, do it. 
Uh, don't forget to hit like on this on this video if you're watching if you're listening to the podcast on YouTube. Yes, there you go. Like and <laughs> and share it with your friends, please. Let your friends know. Hey, hey, do you, do you, do you like do you like video games? <laughs> do you guys do you guys want to listen to a hours long podcast about Donkey Konga? Right, not just Donkey Kong games, but the ones with the drums. No, 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 not <laughs> not the good one with the drums. all right so why are we doing this why you know obviously later this season we will be doing an anniversary retrospective excuse me rare spective uh on the rare buyout you know all of that's coming this september um but that kind of precedes everything we're about to discuss on this episode so the former Nintendo of America COO, Chief Operating Officer, I believe, is the business jargon. I don't know. I believe so. Yeah, it's whatever. Uh, Reggie fils you know, the guy who said he was there to kick ass and take names, and everybody was just like, yeah, he said ass. Mmm, finally, Nintendo's growing up. <laughs> I mean, it was, a, it was a good move for 2004. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like uh, Reggie said some things that have made me raise my eyebrows in recent months. Um, I was just like, mm-hmm. really, dude, you're going there? Mm. Uh, I, I I won't open up those worms uh, from that can on this episode. But you know, Reggie's always been a guy who, at the very least, knows how to market himself when it counts, right? Um, he. He made himself into a personality overnight. He knew exactly what the hungry Nintendo fans of that era wanted to hear. And he he continually fed them that he knew when to just come out of nowhere with a meme and make everybody obsess over it to this day. You know, it's it just one of those he, he's he's skilled. He's a skilled tactician in the realm of media relations. And oh yeah, like E three o four, we got Reggie kicking ass, and we got Zelda Twilight Princess. Uh, f- finally, a, a real Zelda game. We also got Donkey Kong Jungle Beat, which yeah. uh and and also the uh, the Western, I guess, premiere of Donkey Konga. So yeah, when Reggie came to town, he brought with it all sorts of things. So he's heavily associated with this era. The the oncoming of Reggie Fizame uh sort of ushered in all of this in this big tidal wave of change at Nintendo both Nintendo of America and Nintendo of Japan you know th- this was this was a time of turmoil of turnover this was uh, like what a year and a half or so after the rare buyout the, yeah, everything was in flux not just with the Nintendo not just with rare but the entire video game industry it oh, was, yeah. was, uh, was changing at this time. And anyway, Re- Reggie, um, you know, love him or hate him, he definitely knew how to tap into the zeitgeist of what his consumer base wanted to hear. And he has, since leaving Nintendo of America, he has written a book on his time there called Disrupting the Game. And Josh, believe it or not, I actually got an advanced copy of this because I am a literary tastemaker. 
<laughs> so very, very nice. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I did not get that. Just to give you an idea. Yeah, no. Apparently, uh, they were like, "Ah, DK Vine is the media outlet that we need to uh, give a review for this." Unfortunately, for the publisher, uh, Reggie only mentions Donkey Kong once in the entire book, and it's an offhand reference to Miyamoto developing the original Donkey Kong arcade game. That's it. No references to Donkey Kong or or anything relevant to DK Vine's purview. So I didn't do anything with it. (laughs) I made a tweet (laughs) saying, hey, Donkey Kong doesn't come up in this book. Like uh, E3 2010, the famous, if you listen, you can hear it coming. I was like, oh, I can't wait to see what Reggie has to say about that famous moment. Doesn't bring it up. He brings up the Nintendo 3DS. Because that that was a bigger deal for Reggie than DKC Returns. So, you know, it is what it is. But I we didn't talk about it at DK Vine. But Reggie's making... I, I like to imagine... Like, the, the first thing you did when you got this advanced copy was just... You flipped through the pages and, like... Like you, you're so you're so tuned that that nearly at a glance you could tell whether the page contained the words Donkey Kong. So it, it took you about took you about fifteen seconds to just scan through the book and and deduce that that, that there was nothing of value here. Uh, honestly, yes, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> I also checked, I, knew it. I also checked the index. <laughs> so sure, sure, gotta yeah. be thorough. Yeah, just just to be sure, but yeah. Uh, anyway, Re- Reggie is out on uh, ma- making the rounds on media outlets that will talk about his book because they don't care about Donkey Kong quite as much as we do. And he was on the network G4, which is apparently back. Um, G4's X Play. It just just the letter X Play, right? Um, yes. So you know if. We weren't talking about the mid-aughts before. It feels like we're definitely talking about it now. Uh, on X-Play, Mr. Adam Fee- Sessler was there. Morgan Webb was there. It was great. Uh, I, I know that reference. Uh, anyway. Dude, the PS3 is going to be sick, though, man. <laughs> Mr. Fizabe was uh, was asked what his, quote, best worst game, end quote, was. Just as a very nice way of saying, what game did you hate during your time at Nintendo? And honestly, like this, this, this surprised me. This surprised me to hear him be so frank and to hit it so close to home, considering he mm-hmm. didn't mention Donkey Kong once during his book, uh, except that one time. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna read the quote now, and this, this is what Reggie said. Actually, okay. this might resonate. So I have to tell you, as an executive, I hated Donkey Konga. I hated it. I fought with our parent company. I thought it was going to hurt the Donkey Kong brand. Personally, I didn't find it a lot of fun to play. So I pushed back hard. You know what? We launched it. The first game actually sold reasonably well. But boy, I was not a fan. Vindicated! We are selfish! We are wrong! Because it's 2004, you see. Yeah, no, I, I had to scan my memory banks. So it's like, sounds like that was in Donkey Konga 2. I can't remember, though. <laughs> uh, so, this takes me back, Josh. This, this takes me right back to the DK Vine forum, circa 2004, well into 2005. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> still still going on in 2008. Yeah, and think, now... Think, think we, were, we were largely over it, or we just didn't care anymore by 2009. I'm looking over at my stack of five DK bongos over there. I've <laughs> also God. got a sixth pair of all-black bongos that were an off-brand third-party set of bongos, which they apparently made, and I don't even remember purchasing, but it's shown up. It's shown up. I believe just Andre on Twitter said it, that's like a creepy pasta. Just just the, the black TK <laughs> bongos that show up in your house. <laughs> the dark bongos. Uh, well, I don't think I ever told you this, but last year I actually bought uh like the, the big box with the I, bongos of me. Donkey Kong Jungle Bee, because I'd never had it on the GameCube yeah. before. And to my surprise and delight, the bongos in there have never been opened. They're still in the plastic. So I truly am the perfect person to be <laughs> to be on this episode with you. What did they smell like? Because I'm curious what 2004 smells like. Oh, I didn't open them. So oh. I, can't, I can't tell you. Oh, okay. Okay. You know, it's, it's always fun. I mean, I can go get them if you want me to. If you, no, it's fine. It's fine. do a live no. podcast opening of bongo drums. No, leave them, leave them preserved. They might be worth something after this podcast. I, I oh, just like, open. I just like opening stuff that I know has been sealed since the date it was manufactured and, and having this notion that, oh, this is what that year smells like. It's been preserved for this, for, for <laughs> this is that, that, that good 2004 air. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, the the air wasn't much cleaner back then, but you know. Um, so the question is, Josh, was he right? Was Reggie right about Donkey Konga hurting the Donkey Kong brand? And, and so, before we dissect this, I want to be clear that we're not here to pick on Donkey Konga. This podcast, this episode, isn't being made to bask in negativity or to somehow vindicate, you know, DK Vine from 2003, 2004, 2005. This is to have an honest discussion between, you know, as I say, two relatively reflective people. We, we find the ebbs and flows of fandom fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things to like about Donkey Konga. There are. There, there, there are aspects of that game I do appreciate. I think there are even things to like about Donkey Konga 2, the game I widely consider to be the absolute worst Donkey Kong game ever made. Um, and if you do like any of the Donkey Konga games, if, if you are a legitimate Donkey Konga fan, if they're your favorite Donkey Kong games, then great, you know, that's... I'm not, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying, you know, there's any right opinion to have here. But this episode is to look at whether the existence of Donkey Kong coming out when it did had long-term negative ramifications on how people perceive the Donkey Kong IP, which I think is a, a separate notion than is there quality to be found in Donkey Konga or do you even like it? Is it okay to like it? Because yes, it is okay to like it. The studio head of Rare was on this very podcast about five years ago and he said Donkey Konga was his favorite Donkey Kong game. And so, you know, I, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm, but it, 
it's relevant because it's so specific. Like what Reggie said wasn't the. I mean, he's he actually no, he did say, "Boy, was I not a fan." He d- he <laughs> right. did he right. did dunk on Donkey Konga, but his his main point is his main uh, bone of contention with it seems to have been, "I thought it was going to hurt the Donkey Kong brand." That's right. that is the key phrase there to me, and that's important to kind of put into the contextual terms of that era because that was when Reggie was just starting. That was I mean, his first E3. They were they were showing off Donkey Konga in the West. We knew about it beforehand, but that was when we really got like a good look at Donkey Konga coming this, I think, September, yes, to, you know, the Americas, Donkey Konga. And here's also Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. So I I, I can imagine it was resting on his shoulders because 2004 wasn't that far removed from 1999 when Nintendo's holiday season was resting on Donkey Kong's shoulders itself. You know, Donkey Kong 64 was the big holiday title in 1999. Now, a half a decade is a long time in certain contexts, but in the business world, not, not that terribly long. So yeah, that, that's well, not that terribly wrong, and I don't think it's that terribly long, like seen through a modern context of gaming. But and I see, I, I have to be a little bit careful here because yeah. ninety nine to two thousand four for me was like me being eleven versus me being sixteen. So right. of course that seems like an incredibly long time uh, in retrospect. But I do feel like. At that time in the gaming industry, like gaming itself had changed a lot in that in that period of oh, time. Sure. Uh, video games changed and evolved, and like the industry itself and the trends within it, um, change were changing very, very, very quickly back then. Yes, yes, and and that brings us to my I I, I guess main thesis here, which was okay. the absurd, absurd, laughable even. Once in a lifetime situation that the Donkey Kong franchise found itself in back in 2003 and 2004. So I, I, I've made a, a bulleted list here. All right. Here we go. All right. Obviously, Rare, the creative shepherds of the Donkey Kong series, since behind the scenes 1993, and the ones who were responsible. For practically every reoccurring character, save two, that they still heavily reimagined, they had been purchased by Microsoft the year before, in 2002, after Nintendo declined their offer to do the same. So, so the, the people who have been responsible for everything we know about Donkey Kong, a whole media brand was launched from Donkey Kong Country, you know, cartoon, fruit snacks, other candies, toys. I mean, we, everything came from the mines at Rare, you know. Yeah, Miyamoto suggested some things like the hand slap, but, you know, every, everything <laughs> yeah. else was Rare, yeah. So Rare was gone, more <laughs> or less. The generation, the console generation, had just changed over from the Nintendo 64 to the GameCube. At the same time, the PlayStation was becoming inarguably the industry leader, and Xbox was beginning to, you know, shore up the rest of the market share. Time of change. Sega no longer making consoles. 
Um, it, it was everything was radically different, as you just said, than it was in 1999. And maybe you could yeah, speak the, more to that because I know I, I just kind of threw that uh, under the bus there. Oh yeah, Sega was no longer making consoles. I realize what that means to you. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is this was this this like 2001 so specifically demarcates the end of my childhood to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right, nine eleven. Because yeah, it's 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 Sega leaving the console business. It's Microsoft entering it. It's in so many ways like two thousand one. I think of as the beginning of the modern industry. It's this line in the sand that kind of separates what gaming was before and what it was going to be, and, and in a lot of ways, what it is to this day. Because every generation since, every console generation since, has had. You know, Microsoft, Nintendo, and Sony, like those three are the, are the three major console makers, and largely they're playing some version of the same roles. Absolutely, yeah. It, it, it is, you know, I, I didn't think of it in, in those terms at the time. For me, that happened a year later, 2002, uh, with the buyout. Which makes perfect sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because from my perspective, that was where everything changed and i was like oh shit i guess i'm an adult now bye bye childhood uh (laughs) (laughs) but i think it's also important to consider that like it's not just that new consoles were coming out it's not just that some competitors were leaving the market or transitioning to third party and new ones were coming in it's also just that the the trends and the syntax and the I guess what the market wanted and, and and moreover not not what the market wanted because the market was becoming so big that it could cater to a to a wider like variety of tastes than it ever could before mm-hmm. but the kinds of games that were um sort of setting the trend and dominating the the, the popular consciousness and like raising the bar for okay well this is what video games are from now on yeah. were becoming very 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 different and much less defined by Nintendo. And I think, I think that's like a, a big, and not, not necessarily Nintendo itself, but Nintendo's like sort of house style. Mm -hmm. Cause like you think about the fall of 2001, like in that one season, we had Halo, Grand Theft Auto three and Metal Gear Solid two. And none of the, and none of that was remotely relevant to Nintendo. And then Nintendo had Melee, which was great, and Luigi's Mansion, but like, no, you're, they, you're, abs- they, you're absolutely right. They, that, they it, weren't the trendsetters anymore. It's it's when Nintendo sort and you got a bit of this with the Nintendo 64, obviously, but I think this is really when Nintendo sort of crossed that threshold from the industry tastemaker to the niche product. Like, like you, you were either a video game fan or you were a Nintendo fan and, and yeah, you like, could be both, but there was actually a clear dividing line at that point between the two. Yeah. Like this, this was the generation where it seemed like th- th- this, this would happen quite frequently. People would be like, like people in, in real life, like people at school, cause I was in high school at the time would be, would find out that I like games and they'd be like, Oh cool. Do you have a PS2 or an Xbox? I'd be like, uh, I have a GameCube. And then they'd be like, why? <laughs> yeah. You know, 
being the the rare DKU absolutist that I was, where you know th- this was 2001 was two years after I co-founded DK Vine, so I had already sort of insulated myself in a bubble of my own making at that point, where because <laughs> I, I, I was I was leaving high school, uh, you know, graduated in 2002. And um, so I didn't have those one-on-one interactions anymore. I had the online community I sort of uh, shepherded, right? And and so Mm -hmm. I kind of shielded myself from all of that. And it wasn't until the buyout happened that I kind of got hit in the face very bluntly, very fast. And I realized that things were changing. But even then... I I was still, you know, staying in that bubble of Donkey Kong, Rare, you know, DKU. That's that's all that matters. And I I don't think I had the realization that the PlayStation was king (laughs) for several years. Um, You know, I've talked about my encounters in the wild where I would come kind of face-to-face with actual true, or or I guess I should say mainstream gaming culture, where, for example, I went to reserve Star Fox Adventures at GameStop, and the guy tried to talk me out of it. Oh my god, dude, that's so funny, because, like... Um, you know, full disc- this uh, this will be a, an exclusive for the podcast listeners. But the script I'm working on for the Geek Critique right now is sort of about a retrospective of the sixth generation, and it's a little bit different from most of what I've done. And I don't I don't quite know how it's <laughs> how I'm going to promote it or title it or anything. But one of the things I note in there is that I remember going to video game stores in this era, yeah. and the dudes working at like GameStop or EB Games or whatever would make fun. Of the GameCube game I was buying right in front of me. This right. this was a very, very common occurrence. Yeah, way to make that sale. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> no, so I didn't reserve it there. I reserved it at Circuit City, yeah, as I've often talked about. But it's great because I got the Star Fox Adventures survival kit at Circuit City. Came with toilet paper and Jones soda <laughs> And uh, I don't regret that decision. I'm looking at it right now because I keep it close to me at all times. When the pandemic happened, I debated whether or not to use that toilet paper when there was a shortage. Uh, thankfully, it's still intact. But um, <laughs> if I opened up that toilet paper, I bet it would smell like 2002 and Circuit City. There you go, yeah. Uh, R.I.P. Circuit City. Yeah, so I would have that experience. And then I, I guess most of my encounters happened at GameStops of this era, but... When I went to pick up my Xbox 360 on launch night, uh, I was the only one there getting Perfect Dark Zero. Um, Nobody else had Perfect Dark Zero. And I was like, but I thought everybody loved Perfect Dark. I I thought Perfect Dark was this, this huge thing. Oh, I guess I'm wrong. And and it, it it just makes you feel very small and insignificant when you when you come face to face with oh yeah this weirdo insular cult that I've created is in no means reflective of mainstream culture okay and that's that's I think I'm I'm a more okay with that in 2022 because our media with the exception of a few things like maybe the MCU. Our media and our interests and our taste have fragmented so much 
Um, yeah, like everything is a niche. Yeah, so I, I'm fine with it now. I'm fine to be, you know, king of my little anthill uh, because I'm surrounded by other little anthills and, and I'm not, I don't, I don't have that thirst to be as huge or mainstream in, in my likes as you do when you're younger and you want to feel validated in some way. No, I'm perfectly fine with who I am. I like it. Uh, yeah, but that's, that's a long way of saying, you know, like it, that, that was the era we were living in. Like you, you realize it with hindsight, what you love about what you love probably couldn't be what it is and hit that level of mainstream acceptance. Right. Like I, I had it for a brief few years, actually a couple years, probably Donkey Kong Country Mania, 94 and 95. And then it kind of petered out in 96 with the, the advent of the N64. But I mean, that, that, that was kind of it, you know, um, and but but you know these things like these things all have a way of coming back around. I mean, there's they're they're making a donk like do, like Super Nintendo World Donkey Kong, you know. Oh, I know, I know, and, and that's really exciting. I'm just saying, like, it, it's never going to feel like the same as it does sure, when sure. you're a kid, and what you like is is what is everywhere. And, and you know, uh, I think that was at least speaking for myself. That was also sort of part of why I felt so alienated like from gaming during this time. Yeah. Because like, and, and the reason that things kept disappointing me so much is because you're right. Like it's never going to feel exactly like it did when you were a kid. And I think for some people, and certainly for me, it takes a while to sort of come to terms with that, to stop like holding new games up to the expectation. Like, just as an example, when I played double, when I first played Mario Kart Double Dash, I went into that game expecting it to not only live up to Mario Kart 64, but to mean to me what Mario Kart 64 meant. And I didn't understand that there was no way it could possibly do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I still don't really care for Double Dash, but... Oh, no, that- me either. Fuck Double Dash. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, you know, I'm the one who has to play it as the Kongs and, and nobody else. And that kind of ruins the experience when everything's so imbalanced, depending on which characters you're using. Um, no, and I think it's also, it, it's rough when you're in your early 20s. Because when you're in your early 20s, here's the thing. You're still essentially a kid. You're just in an adult body and you're legally recognized as an adult with all the responsibilities and weight of being an adult on you. And so you... you on some level want to go back if you had a happy enough childhood you just want to get back to it you don't want this adult shit you know and and so i think on some level that is when you're at your most combative right yeah for sure for sure because you are almost fighting for the very integrity of your childhood but here's the cruel twist when you're in your early 20s that's generally when the culture is changing and moving away from what you liked as a child. And in my case, everything was shitting on the stuff I loved as a child. Rare oh, yeah. was, that was suddenly was such a big part of the sixth generation. You're yeah. for sure. Rare was suddenly being bandied as this overrated studio of hacks who never made a good game sans Goldeneye. And, you know, the Donkey Kong Country games were trash. And all of this, so it, it not only, like, was everything changing around me, but I had to defend the stuff I liked. 
And, you know, you give it enough time and the people your age will eventually work their way into the media and start influencing public opinion. And then all of a sudden, hey, Donkey Kong Country games, they're great. They're great again. You know, <laughs> we, 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 yeah. we can like them again. But uh, when when the perception when when the popular opinion was being crafted by people who were either older than than when those games would have hit or you know they they're just too enamored with the new and the now that they're they're discarding everything that came before it happens Everywhere we've talked about, it. we did the episode "Generations," which I think is our definitive statement on that phenomenon. But it just just it helps explain everything that was kind of transpiring during this very radical evolutionary period in the gaming industry. And and if you can imagine all of that, and also coming of age, becoming an adult during this time how incredibly fraught it was for a couple of uh, Rare-loving or Sega-loving kids who suddenly mm-hmm. had this whole new landscape to navigate. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I was... I was, I, I don't know. I don't think I was ever an angsty teen because, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I, was, I was still a teenager at this time. But I was definitely... Um, I think I was also just 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 always very influenced by the internet, <laughs> quite frankly, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of things that I probably wouldn't have noticed or wouldn't have like I think I always would have had the opinions that I did and felt the way that I did about things, but maybe I wouldn't have felt so strongly if I wasn't like you know be like being uh sort of inundated. With this, with like uh, an internet discourse that was pointing out all kinds of negative things that I wouldn't have, that I probably wouldn't have been able to notice on my own. Yeah. Are you talking Uh, about DK Vine? Not specifically. (laughs) (laughs) Not specifically DK Vine, but like, no, all kinds of stuff. Like, uh, I guess with DK Vine, the big one though is that, and I always think this is, this is so telling. Okay. Christmas 2004, I I still inexplicably only had a GameCube. I still... Hold on. I feel like, like I'm going to have I, to open up some uh, some cider for this one. Hold on. Okay. Some, I, need some, I need some juice. There we go. All right. Continue. Like, I was really, by this, by this point, long past the point of thinking that I could get away, that I was going to be happy, like, if the GameCube was my only current console, because, mm-hmm. you know, by this point, like, so much stuff would hit the Xbox and PS2 and just skip Nintendo's console. It was, it seemed like it was kind of dead in the water, but still had a GameCube. I got Donkey Konga for Christmas, almost, almost in lieu. It was one of those things where it's like, well, what do you, so, so is there anything you want for Christmas? I'm like, well, I can't really think of anything else. I guess I'll get Donkey Konga. That, the, the, the box looks pretty cool. I'll give it that. But despite having the bongos, all, I already had the bongos. I never got Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. And I think it's because <laughs> you guys were just so relentlessly negative on it that yep. I was like, well, that that ain't going to be worth it. Yup. Yup. Um, don't worry. We're going to come to the defense of Jungle Beat a little bit on this episode. Oh, but <laughs> 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 I, do, I do have to atone for that. But yeah, I mean. 
the internet was becoming more and more ubiquitous during this era. And while you, Josh, you were lucky enough to find DK Vine, and and, and maybe we steered you a little bit wrong there. But but generally, you know, we were able no, to I broadcast. Thing. It's okay. Yeah, we were able to broadcast our propaganda to you. But you know, th- this is when I think the online culture that primarily exists today was really formed. Uh, because this is when a lot of people, you know, people are getting online at a younger and younger age. So this is really when when online culture really became mainstream as well. Um, and that means if any Nintendo franchise was about to have an identity crisis that spanned nearly an entire decade... This era from, say, 2001 to 2004 was about the worst possible time to do so. And that brings us to Donkey Kong. Um, so, So let's look at the likes of Mario, Pokemon, and Zelda. Those franchises never missed a beat. No pun intended, except, except maybe I intended it. I, I never know. <laughs> but but they never missed a beat from the era of the Nintendo 64 to, honestly, the present day. They've all had vast quantities of spinoffs and side games, yes. But they've always presented a clear core vision with the main entries of those franchises. You know, it, there there hasn't been any break. There hasn't been any downtime for any of the franchise. So basically, there there has been the torch that has stayed lit for all three of those since at least the N sixty four era to today. And yeah, and and some go and some of them going much further back than that. But yes, sure, yeah, yeah. So Donkey Kong has also had a main platforming console entry for every system from the Super Nintendo through the Wii U. We're still waiting on the new game for Nintendo Switch. But Mm -hmm. the problem is, I believe, indeed rooted in these early to mid GameCube years. And that's where I'd argue that the public's entire foundational understanding of Donkey Kong went off the minecart rails. Unless you were of a certain age and knew Donkey Kong to be something else, or if you were younger and keyed into the right websites, or, you know, had a sense of history or an older sibling or, or some sort of avenue to understand context, you would have been raised understanding Donkey Kong wrong. So let me l- 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 let me explain what I mean. For fans from 1994 to 2002, Donkey Kong was its own beast and one of the biggest Nintendo franchises bar none. And, and what's more, it wasn't just a Nintendo franchise. That that was the wild thing. It was a rare franchise or a rare rareware franchise we might have known it as it got to dip its toes in the waters of two shared universes because from the bones of donkey kong country and diddy kong racing came rare's own interconnected properties which we dubbed the donkey kong universe 
you know, tying in Banjo-Kazooie and Conker. This was just common knowledge back in the mid to late 90s, right? Nintendo would also acknowledge DK's shared historical lineage with Mario and things like Mario Kart 64, Mario Party, Camelot sports games. But there was always a Diddy Kong Racing or a Donkey Kong 64 or, or Donkey Kong Racing on the horizon to remind people that Donkey Kong was certifiably its own thing. It wasn't yeah, just and this I, I think, vestigial I think Go ahead. thing of Mar Yeah, it wasn't just this like like uh I don't know, like organ that like inactive organ growing off the Mario franchise. Maybe a right. leech, I don't know. Like it, it, yes, it, it did have this give and take with Mario, but Donkey Kong was its own brand. And I think contextualizing DK64 like that, which is is not something that I had really thought about before, but like I think I think so I think it's easy to think that like okay, well Donkey Kong Country Mania, that was really happening in like 94, 95, then the N64 yeah. came around in 96. And then and then it kind of shrank quite a bit. But you know, you're right that like DK64 was Nintendo's like it was like their big main title for Christmas 1999 just 3 years before the buyout and you know it did become like one of the best selling N64 games which goes to show how much um how much goodwill there still was in the brand well not not just that but Diddy Kong Racing is often overlooked Diddy Kong Racing was a huge game in 97 i mean it it was I mean, it's at Guinness World Records for exactly the number of copies reserved, which, you know, people don't understand to this that you say that and they think you're saying a joke. They, they think you're <laughs> uh, you're pulling a fast one on them because they can't possibly understand how Diddy Kong Racing was so huge. But again, this this was 97. This wasn't 2001. This wasn't the era of Halo and Grand Theft Auto. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the Donkey Kong IP was that serious it was that hardcore back then uh it it could do that i mean 98 was the only year we didn't have any new donkey kong game um in from 94 to 99 and um you know hell i had banjo kazooie then so it didn't really matter but you know donkey kong there was no break i just mentioned how you know mario pokemon zelda have had this sort of unbroken continuity of releases uh, that that was Donkey Kong for much of the nine, 1990s, and yeah, and and for kids like me who were a little who were like primarily like children of the 90s, that was that was all we knew of Donkey Kong too. Like that's, I, I think like th- this is something that I think we'll talk about later in, in regards to the GameCube generation and and how this whole era affected their perception of Donkey Kong and what it was but mine was affected in exactly the opposite direction sort of because to me like I did not know of Donkey Kong as a Mario character um mm-hmm. or I I didn't I like could not have thought of him less as being like part of the Mario cast I saw him entirely as his own thing I I didn't even know that the Donkey Kong arcade cabinet existed um, I did, you know, I, I, I knew the history there, but it didn't really mean anything. Like, I mean, it, it obviously meant something, um, cause I, I, I knew, you know, I appreciated Cranky Kong and all the references and, 
I, I, I knew where the characters came from, but Donkey Kong Country was so huge. And everything changed overnight for the brand and the IP that it felt like there was no going back, right? You couldn't, you couldn't put that genie back in the bottle. You, you couldn't just say, oh, Donkey Kong's just the Mario character again. It wouldn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, also talking about perspectives, I, I mentioned the DKU. I, I'm all the time dealing with younger, <laughs> younger Banjo Kazooie fans online who are adamant that Banjo Kazooie does not share a universe with Donkey Kong. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, this was just knowledge. This was just known fact in the actual era these games came out. It was talked about on Rare's website. Conquer was promoted as Diddy's friend on Rare's website. That, like, that, that's the first character trait you had to know about Conquer. Oh, he's Diddy's friend. Diddy Kong's friend, mm-hmm. Conquer. You know? Uh, and, and so, you j- just... Like, the, the more removed we get from that historical context, the more I find it harder to relate to people who weren't there. Because I'm, try- I'm like, blue in the face trying to explain all this stuff, and they just don't have the history. It's been kind of swept aside. I mean, it's been, it's been forcibly, like... It can't, outside of extremely special occasions like Smash Brothers, it can't be portrayed that way anymore. Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I do like to bring up that I, I, I think every Banjo-Kazooie game has some sort of reference back to Donkey Kong or Diddy Kong Racing. Um, but, I, I mean, maybe with the exception of Grunty's Revenge mobile and and missions um but yeah i mean it's still like baked in it's just yeah they they can't do as much with it as they used to but it's it still exists um but i mean that that was the era that you and i basically came from you're a little bit younger than i am but not by much and in the terms of what we're talking about not much that matters i mean we're it mattered a lot more in the early 2000s <laughs> than it does now, let's yes. just say. Yes. So, Rare was purchased by Microsoft in 2002. And post-buyout, the first true Donkey Kong game announced was Donkey Konga. Uh, it came out in Japan in December of 2003. But it didn't hit the Americas until September 2003. 2000, uh, 2004. Mm-hmm. And then it came out in Europe and Australia a month after that. So um, it's worth pointing out, too, that in every region, um, at least Japan, the Americas, and then Europe, Australia, had different track listings for each region. They tried to tailor it to every region. Like, all right. But anyway... Donkey yeah, I, I Kong believe some, ju- some a couple of tracks were shared among them, but yeah, yeah. large largely each region had its own had its own thing. It's just wild to see that huge span of time. You know, it came out in Japan December of two thousand three, and then the Americas in September of two thousand four. Like nine whole months for release, where you know now games are oh, released yeah, that, internationally the, the same day. Yeah, for 
god over 10 years now that's that's been like it's it's funny because for a long time that was that was like that was just kind of how that was kind of expected lots of games hit japan like about a year before they came out here but for probably about the the past dozen years yeah that uh worldwide simultaneous releases has been the norm yeah there um i another youtube channel i i check out the videos of. i don't watch a lot of gaming youtube channels but there are a few i like yours and uh the gaming historian just released a video on the making and release of super mario world oh i watched that one fantastic fantastic yeah and it really just puts you right back into that era of the early like late 80s early 90s um which we're talking about a different era, you know, here in the context of 2003, 2004. But that was even farther removed from, like, what we know. Like, that was when video game consoles were treated as mere toys by the mainstream media. And it's just cracking me up seeing some of those uh, media quotes from the time and just how fucking dismissive they are of video games. But, um, eh, yeah. It's just a fad. It'll never last. Yeah, it was just wild, though, seeing, like, the huge gulf of time. Like, I remember hearing older kids, like, uh, relatives of mine talking about, like, oh, yeah, in Japan, they've already got Super Mario Brothers 4 out. And, and this is before, like, Super Mario Brothers 3 come out. Like, what are you talking about? Like, they're, they're seeing stuff in video game magazines and, you know, running away with it, you know. But, um, yeah, just just, like, that whole, like, idea of... Japan is so far ahead of us in, in the games they've yeah. got. And and we don't have an internet to really uh, get clued in on it. So we only hear like whispers and hearsay. <laughs> and it's just, uh, it, it just, it just seems so uh, what, foreign one, and Once alien. we got the internet, really, we just had more whispers and hearsay. Yeah, well, that's true. But at least, you know, if, if you know how to use it properly, you can verify uh, or dismiss what you're hearing. But... Yeah, I, I guess that, we didn't. We guys, we didn't have all the like hoaxes and and leaks that we do but, today. But that sort of thing always throws me off because, like, if you search Google, for, I'm not gonna do this, but I'm assuming if you search Google for like Donkey Kong release date, it'll tell you it came out in 2003. And so, I mean, this this happens for everything now. I'll see things like, oh, on this day in 2003, Donkey Konga was... Nobody is saying this, by the way, but hypothetically, <laughs> if Donkey Konga was, was a more beloved game, they would. Um, and, and I have, like, an incredibly, like, chronological memory for this stuff. Sure. Like, I think it's just sort of a function of how my memory works. So this always throws me off because I'm like, no, Donkey Konga was 2004. That's when I was experiencing it. Right. And I mean, I I think that's just human nature too, right? Like, unless you are such a devotee to Japanese culture and and you train your brain to think in those terms, you're you're going to experience it if you live in the West from the Western Mm -hmm. perspective. Um, I mean, that's why DK Vine's release dates are always uh, Western release dates. The actual U.S. release dates on our games page just because... It, it just keeps it easier chronologically than than to have all like we're not a wiki, so we don't need to really get into the weeds there. But and because I mean, it just it just fits when we personally ex- would have experienced this stuff. I I'd never thought about it before, but like I do the same thing with my videos, where whenever at the beginning of a lot of my videos, I'll I'll show the year and then TGC presents, and I always use like the Western release date for that. Yeah, 
And uh, I, I think that's fine. I mean, it, it's something that it's no longer relevant in today's day and age when we do have international releases same day of which i love by the way like like i i love i i for one do not fear our worldwide culture i embrace it um but oh you you you, you don't want to go back to waiting nine months for (laughs) for games to come out no and likewise i don't want anybody in japan to have to wait for games that we get first i uh, i I I love it, but um, and I love like one of one of the great joys. You know, everybody talks about the ills of social media, and I do agree with the points made. But one of the things I love about it is I have been able to connect with with DKU fans. Yes, DKU fans around the world in Japan. These these people in Japan who know Donkey Kong and Banjo and Conker share a universe and they celebrate it and they love it. They exist over there. They exist everywhere. I mean, it, it's it's been one of the great joys of seeing how international our fan base, our fandom is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the best thing. So social media is something we wouldn't have. We didn't have back in 2004 when we're talking about Donkey Konga. But in the case of Donkey Konga, I do think... It's relevant talking about the Western release because that is entirely what this episode kind of revolves around. So, like I said, it came out in the Americas September 2004 and Europe and Australia October 2004. Jungle Beat wasn't announced until E3 2004 where it was right next to Donkey Konga. Okay? And... Mm -hmm. Jungle Beat followed Donkey Konga at retail. It was released in Japan in December of 2004, Europe in February of 2005, and the Americas and Australia in March 2005. Hmm. So I, I say all of this. I'm not, I'm not just rattling off trivia here. Here's my point. Donkey Kong Jungle Beat, Josh was the main Donkey Kong game for the GameCube. And I hear people screaming at me already. But yes, I'm sorry. Donkey Kong Jungle Beat was the main Donkey Kong game for the GameCube. Uh, It's on par with Donkey Kong 64. It's on par with Donkey Kong Country Returns or Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. And and when you say to be clear, when you say on par, you you you're not saying this game is necess- is you're not talking about its quality one way or the other. You're saying yeah. relative to like in 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 the course of this console's lifespan, this was the the big mainline Donkey Kong game of its time. Right. I I see to this day people call it like a spin-off or, or a side game, depending on the parlance being used. But no, it, it, this, this was the main Donkey Kong game. It was developed by Nintendo EAD. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there were no other plans for a main console Donkey Kong game. This was a platformer, a full-fledged adventure. Uh, when Cranky Kong had those Project Dolphin auditions at the end of Donkey Kong 64, you know, the, the 101% best ending, he was auditioning for Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. I mean, retroactively, right? Um, so, uh, it, it, it was a game that was supposed to matter. 
But to the yeah, average, to, to to use to use DK Vine's own parlance, and I, I remember this made such an impression on me uh, back when I first saw it. DK Vine had a page for Donkey Kong GameCube, and it said something like, "It may, it's coming. It may take two <laughs> years. It may take four years. It may take six years, but it's coming." And then went on to like talk about what the what the what the big new Donkey Kong game was going to be on the GameCube, and yeah. this is that game. Yeah, like it or not, like. Um... Had there been no buyout, I'm sure it would have been a rare game, probably going back more to the style of Donkey Kong Country, but there's no way of knowing because that was they never got far enough, right, before right. the buyout happened. There was going to be Donkey Kong Racing beforehand, but uh, the stampers knew to keep Donkey Kong going because it was a major cash cow for Rare, uh, let alone Nintendo would want them to you know, have a Donkey Kong game at the ready every couple of years. But um, things changed, and Nintendo EAD got it, and they went in a different direction. Here's the thing, though. To the average consumer, Josh, to the person who wasn't already a Donkey Kong fan, or, you know, up on everything Nintendo, Jungle Beat would have just looked like another Donkey Kong game. Or maybe some mm-hmm. sort of Donkey Konga expansion. Um, because Donkey Konga did come out first. It was the funny game that used the plastic drums. And it came out first. And it was in all the GameStops. It was in all of the stores. You could try it out. You know, you, you go up to the little bongos and... and Oyo Como Va, I think, was on the demo, and, you know, I was, oh, yeah, it's weird Santana. I'm playing Santana, but I'm Donkey Kong and Diddy, and I'm using bongos, and this is Donkey Konga. God, and... what a weird game. Oh, Jeez, my like, God. I, I, I admittedly, I, I played it plenty back in the day, so I, I remember it well. But just, like, the juxtaposition of hearing... Terrible covers of pop songs while those yeah. graphics are on the screen. It's just so, so strange. Right. And it's like the, the frames of animation were so, so low. And it was just, it, it, it just felt so weird coming off of Rare, you know, which was always polished visually to perfection, you know, and, and, Obviously, like the music uh, of the Donkey Kong Country games and Donkey Kong 64 on another level, and then you get to Donkey Kong, and it's like, what, what, what is this? This is a Donkey Kong game, but I, it just feels so alien. It feels so wrong, and, and it's equally strange because, like, the Donkey Kong, the Donkey Kong series had always been known for having really, really fantastic music. So, in a sense, it fits. It's just that soundtrack. Right, like Donkey Kong played the bongos in Donkey Kong 64. Like, everything was set up perfectly. And then it just decided, hey, all that setup that that would work for this game to sell this concept, let's ignore it. Let's not just, let's just do something else. But Donkey Kong did make an impression. As Reggie said, it did sell reasonably well. But... I think once it's in people's homes, they're not going to be clamoring for anything else like it. Like, oh, we ha- we have Donkey Kong at home. We we don't need <laughs> another Donkey Kong. And so when Donkey Kong Jungle Beat 
came out. Um, well, it was sandwiched between the two Donkey Konga games in the West. Donkey Konga 2 had come out in Japan in July of 2004, even before the first Donkey Konga reached the rest of the world. But Donkey Konga 2 came out to the Americas in May of 2005, and then Europe in June. I think it didn't release in Australia at all. I, I don't think it got to uh, Australia Those lucky bastards. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, and I don't think I'm incorrect in remembering Donkey Konga 2 getting a significant marketing campaign compared to Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. Uh, I, I barely remember Jungle Beat getting promoted at all. It, it got commercials, it got ads, but nothing compared to the Congas. Well, the, I mean, Jungle Conga- Beat also kind of came out. I think that it's important to sort of contextualize where the GameCube itself was as a platform at this time, mm. because to my memory, after about a year, uh, I think by after about holiday 2002, Third-party support for the GameCube started drying up and drying up pretty terribly. Yeah. And it kind of got – I, I know a lot more people, uh, a lot more younger people will, re- will remember the Wii U and, and how that kind of went. And if you if you were paying attention during the Wii U cycle, it really did kind of go that way where, like, within a couple of years, like, the consoles sort of felt like – like, Nintendo was still publishing games on it, but it was it, – you, you could tell it was dead in the water. I guess I guess mm. you could tell that a lot of their development had sw- had swapped over to their next generation console and that's that's where more of the focus was. And by 2005 especially and and in particular March 14th 2005 was the day that Donkey Kong Jungle Beat came out in North America. I think putting out a GameCube game by that point would have been a pretty tough sell. Yes, um, tough sell, but also tough when you, it, it's the, the weird cream filling in this, uh, yeah, odd, odd Oreo. It, so your, your charge is basically that because, because Conga came out and then yeah. just, uh, about six months later, Jungle Beat came out. You think Donkey, you're saying Donkey, you feel like Donkey Konga poisoned the well. Yeah, because, Poor or, um, not, not just poor, but I think marketing that just doesn't adequately explain what a product is can sink a good product, no matter the, the inherent quality. Uh, mm-hmm. we saw it, we saw it sort of just recently in another area that, that we know very well, um, Platonic's second game, Ukulele and Impossible Air, I think I think it did well enough, but it didn't do as well as it should have. And agreed. I think that's be- big agreed. I think that's because Team Seventeen, uh, the the publisher, didn't get across that it was a brand new game. A lot of people thought it was Ukulele DLC. Mm. And it was clearly a different game, right? A completely different genre of game. Uh, they they just didn't market it correctly. And it's ironic because that's the whole reason they vetoed the name Ukulele in Plan B, 
the, the original name for ukulele and impossible air because they were afraid that it was just going to come across as like unused ukulele content for the original game um but that's ultimately how they kind of marketed it and to this day i run into people who are confused by ukulele impossible air and to this day josh i am encountering people who will make some comment about donkey kong jungle beat when they're clearly referring to the conga games well yeah because even the name itself even donkey kong jungle beat i if to the uninformed consumer i could see why you would get that confused like that sounds like it could be the name of of a rhythm game yeah i'm i'm still running into people on social media in this decade who think it's a rhythm game that that's and, not an adventure and as 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 much weight as the ukulele comparison carries it's even more so when the game itself is tied to to a peripheral uh, or to, mm-hmm. to to an unusual sure. for that matter an unusual peripheral i guess sort of the the comparison i could make with poisoning the well would be kind of like imagine if say twilight princess had come out on the wii and it and it was absolute garbage, and it 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 did not utilize the Wii remote very well. The the nunchuck didn't work right. Um, it just made a really like this would be everyone's first impression of of like the Wii remote and nunchuck, at least the hardcore gamer types, because you know they're gonna play that first, not Wii Sports. Yeah. So I think as and then if later they came back and they made a good Zelda game with the Wii remote and nunchuck then I think a lot of people would have already written it off and would have already said, okay, no, we already know what that entails. We already know what that's like. Yeah. Like, you, it's one of those things where you only get one shot to make a first impression. And the first impression that they made with the DK Bongos was Donkey Konga. Yeah, yeah. And I would say, to to answer the, uh, the, the underlying question of this episode, Reggie is absolutely right in this regard because i i want you to imagine a different scenario josh mm-hmm. where reggie was successful in blocking donkey konga from release in the west or at least release in the americas because i don't know how far reggie's purview would actually extend here but let's say reggie got it blocked from releasing in the americas but donkey kong jungle beat does come out packaged with the dk bongos and the unique blend of platforming and rhythm is promoted as such without the associations of the Konga games. Suddenly, I don't know, Jungle Beat might become a revolutionary idea that would still have derision from the long-tenured Rare and Country fans, like moi, but sure, would, sure. Have had, would have had a fighting chance at being embraced rather than being immediately written off by people who had already bought into Donkey Konga or had seen Donkey Konga and didn't need any more explanation for what they thought Jungle Beat was. And and I'm bringing up Jungle Beat so much, not because like Jungle Beat was the answer to everything, but Jungle Beat is a good game. I, I mean, I will admit I was wrong when it comes to Jungle Beat. A lot of it was fueled by that mistranslated interview run by IGN that made it seem like some sort of uh, battle against the Donkey Country IP, some sort of uh, pissing contest. It was made to be this scandalous thing when the actual translation didn't say that at all. So it kind of salted the earth 
for us. Um, yeah, and for that, us country I mean, fans. And that came, that that mistranslated interview came out at just sort of similar to what we were saying earlier, the worst possible time because yeah. the Donkey Kong fandom at that time was so prone to confirmation bias in this direction. And here's yep. this interview, here's this person uh developing a new a new donkey kong game saying exactly what what we already think like it it, it is our worst case scenario of 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 what we don't want to hear and here they are saying it out loud so of course everybody was like oh yeah there it is we knew it we knew we knew it was true yeah yeah And, and so you know putting aside our feelings for it which were mostly fueled by uh, false allegations and, um, misunderstandings that were eventually cleared up. And, you know, and a, a, a toxic application of our own nostalgia. Yes. Uh, Jungle Beat is a solid, solid game. And if anybody had actually given it the time of day, I think it would have had a lot more fans and, it would have done a lot for the Donkey Kong brand during this time. Because let's talk about Donkey Konga's presentation, Josh. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, in my notes here, I've, I've written two words. Childish and puerile. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, yeah, it's it's not an exaggeration, though. This it, is it, this it, is not some this is not Heil from the mid two thousands engaging in over the top hyperbole. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, that is exactly right. Look, I like elements of of Donkey Konga. I like that for whatever reason it incorporated Ellie the elephant. I like that banana birds are in it. But but these are all superficial things. Like, I, oh yeah, I like that you use this thing that I like. I like that I can see this character that I don't often get to see dancing around on the screen. Everything about Donkey Konga is is uh, juvenile to the point of being insulting <laughs> in, in a way that Donkey Kong games never really are. Right? Yeah, they're, they're, Donkey Kong games are cartoony uh, and, and exaggerated and silly at times, but. I challenge you to go to YouTube and and just type like Donkey Konga intro or, or whatever and watch it. Watch the dialogue between Donkey Diddy and Cranky Kong and how ungodly stupid it is. <laughs> Insultingly stupid. It, it it's just amazing. like it it's cringeworthy. Do not watch it with a loved one or a friend. You will be embarrassed. Uh, I mean, it, it, it paints the characters in a idiotic light. And that would be fine because most people skip over that stuff, right? It would be fine if not for the track selection. And, and before we really get started here, Josh, I've got to point you. I've got to point the listeners oh, to God, a song. I'm so sorry. I, I'm preemptively a... apologizing for everyone. There is a track on Donkey Konga's Western release. I, I, I'm not sure if it was included in in the other regions, but but in the America, in the American release, there is a track called Diddy's Diddy's. 
Diddies, D-I-T-T-I-E-S, Diddies, Diddies, which was a medley. Oh, a medley. Yeah, you know, I love a medley. I love the Abbey Road medley that, that, that really capped off the Beatles' career. And that would be one thing if, you know, they included the Abbey Road medley. But no, this is Diddies, Diddies, which was a medley of Happy Birthday to You. The Itsy Bitsy Spider <laughs> and Row 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 Your Boat. And and I, I could say this, and you could walk away with some understanding of how this felt, how this came across, but the only way to adequately get you to understand what I'm expressing here, the pain, the anguish, <laughs> the, the turmoil, is to play it for you. And I want to add a little something here. As you listen to this, just to just to sort of try to mind palace with me, like become kindred spirits with me and imagine that it's Christmas 2004 and you're a 16 year old listening to this for the first time. Imagine realizing that this is what you blew it on, you know? Imagine, too, that you're me. And yeah. that you were weaned, weaned on the milk of Cranky Kong Snark, <laughs> uh, of of the the acidic bitterness that Rare so brilliantly layered into their Donkey Kong games, and and the humor that that then sprang up in Banjo Kazooie and Conquers Bad. This is Fur quite Day. a mental image. Yeah, and then imagining getting to Nintendo's. First Donkey Kong release, uh, first full Donkey Kong release, not developed by Rare. Uh, I, I'm excluding Donkey Kong Country Barrel Maze <laughs> from this equation. but It's, it's like we're finally going to answer the question, what will Donkey Kong be without Rare? How will this franchise continue without Rare? And here's the answer. I present to you, without further ado, Diddy's. Diddies.
Life is but a dream, Josh, and this is one dream I wish I could wake up from. Heil, I should have gotten an Xbox. I could have gotten an Xbox, and then I wouldn't have had to... Oh, why? Why you know didn't many... I get an Xbox? Why am I stuck ma- with this? Oh, it brings Josh, me right you, back. Do you know how many masturbation jokes you could have enjoyed in Grab by the Ghoulies? <laughs> exactly, I could have played Grab by the Ghoulies. Which everybody writes off as childish nonsense. And... You know, it's just full of the same humor uh, that that we love from, you know, Donkey Kong, Banjo, Conker. And then we have Diddy's Diddy's holding down the fort over on the GameCube. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it says a lot. I don't think I'd ever actually even heard that song in full. I well, don't know if I ever even selected it. Like, I I sat there and listened to the little preview of it. I don't know if I yeah. ever actually played it. It, it, it. It's a slow builder, that mm-hmm. one. Because you've got the instrumental Happy Birthday to you. Because this might have been the time when the lyrics to Happy Birthday were still under uh, copyright. Uh, I, I, I forget when that exactly went public domain for realsies. But... Uh, you know, so so, so it kind of lulls you into this idea that it's just going to be uh, a, an instrumental medley of, of childhood favorites. But yeah, then, it's, no. It's a and slow builder, the, much like aquatic ambience and, 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 yeah, and really right. just as brilliant. Right, because I'm sure the the aquatic ambience would also wash the spider out. <laughs> well done. Wow. Uh, I, I, I'm grinning right now to, to mask... <laughs> the <pain laughs> so yeah i mean there's ditties ditties for sure but but the track listing of the the american release for donkey konga was all over the fucking map it, it okay the the biggest sin that dk vine claimed it committed back when it came out was that it was completely devoid of actual Donkey Kong music. This was especially egregious in the Americas because it had the Super Mario theme. It had the Zelda yeah. theme. It had the Pokemon theme. Uh, and it had the Kirby right back at you theme. Uh, so it had those. It had Willie Nelson. I mean, these are all covers, by the way. We, we, they couldn't get the real songs. But they they had a uh, like Willie Nelson. I, I mentioned the Santana. They uh, I think Blink One Eighty Two. They had a track in there. They they had the the nursery rhymes. It tried to be too many things for too many people. Oldies, classic rock, country, classical. Uh, and sl- some slightly more contemporary covers, but it, it, it tried to be a game that would service everybody. Everybody except one group of people. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Donkey Kong fans. Right? Who? So already you're sending a message, uh, maybe a subconscious message that isn't immediately registered, but is definitely read uh, unconsciously. By people. There's no Donkey Kong series music in Donkey Konga. But don't worry. Donkey Konga has the themes for the important Nintendo franchises. Mario, Zelda, Pokemon, Kirby. 
again, and again, it, it fits so perfectly. It slides so perfectly into the narrative that the Donkey Kong fandom was already privy to. Right. And, and that, that explains our reaction, but on some level, that is true. Yeah. I mean, when, 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 you, when you walk away with what people would have perceived, you had this extremely silly, a puerile, I really like that word, puerile game that utilized the Donkey Kong characters and brand, but it, it was was all over the map with everything but Donkey Kong. It, it seemed and, to have no reverence or interest in anything that was actually related to Donkey Kong. Yeah, like, I, I, I scream, who is this game for? It tried to be something for everybody. It, 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 it was, uh, like, designed by committee, right? And, and it, it was, like, chasing trends and doing everything but being a Donkey Kong game. And we won't even get into Donkey Kong 2 because oh, I feel like Donkey Kong 2... <laughs> <laughs> Donkey Konga 2 is this whole other thing. It's a whole other level of shit. Because Donkey Konga 2 in the Americas decided to chase a more contemporary crowd. It was the edgy Donkey Konga game. It, it was chasing <laughs> the, the top 40 MTV crowd of the era. It tried to market itself as the Donkey Konga of 2005. Uh, they, they even got good Charlotte. In a, in a big uh, promotional deal to be on their ads for Donkey Konga 2. Now, uh, were the game... Were, I can't remember. Were the songs in in the game itself still Good Charlotte covers? There there was a Good Charlotte cover in there. Yeah. Uh, but the one I always, I always bring up, the one I always think of when I think, where did Donkey Konga 2 go wrong? And it went wrong in so many ways, Josh. But there's a song on there called hit em up style parentheses oops and 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 <laughs> for for if you're not aware uh hit em up style parentheses oops is a song about a lady who has been cheated on by her man and so she decides to get even and she steals his credit cards and she goes on a big shopping spree this is this is a song in Donkey Konga Two that that Donkey Diddy and Dixie Kong happily bongo to about getting revenge on your man when he commits adultery. Well, I mean, perhaps we could see this as some sort of a situation involving the the eternal love triangle of Funky Candy and DK. Yeah, I've analyzed that. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've of tried. Course you have. <laughs> yeah. It would be one thing. It would be one thing if Donkey Kong was aware of the infidelity so clearly happening under his nose, but he doesn't know any better. Now, are we talking and, and about think, his 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 Wii U era nose or his Switch era nose? <laughs> this was still the GameCube right. era, but <laughs> you would think maybe becoming so proficient in bongoing hit him up style parentheses oops would have maybe clued him in. <laughs> he's none the wiser. He's none the wiser. They can't make that canon because it it varies upon region, so you can't have anything definable. <laughs> that's in Donkey yeah, Kong's that's the reason arc. that's not going to be canon because that song <laughs> wasn't in the Japanese version of Donkey Kong. It wouldn't make sense, Hyle. 
So, like, like I said, I, I could find things to like about Donkey Konga games. Donkey Konga 2, which, which I am on record as, as thinking as the worst Donkey Kong game ever. I still all, like all that Dixie said, and I believe I've it. told you this before. One of these days, you and I are going to meet up in person, and I'm going to help you finish that slush fund. What what a day that will be, Josh. For but, real. Um, uh, yeah, I, I like Dixie Kong's portrayal in it. I like that it seems to revisit Donkey Kong Land worlds. You know, I. But but that's all just window dressing. Do I enjoy the experience? No, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Um. <laughs> okay, I thought here's here here was always my issue with it. I thought yeah. it was fine enough for what it was. I thought the bongo drums themselves were very well constructed and worked well. I thought the gameplay itself could be fun, but the issue really was the track list because a rhythm game is only as good as the music that you can play in it, and there really yeah. weren't very many songs I actually enjoyed playing. And it's just, it's just wild even, that uh, even setting aside all of the Donkey Kong elements and 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 whether it hurt the brand, just purely like as a game, just that 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 was really its downfall. I thought. Well, yeah, like again, it it tried to be too many things. It tried to reach as broad of an audience as possible, but what that did was. You, you, there, there might be three tracks somebody likes in there, and they don't care about the rest because that's reaching for a different market. It, and then Donkey Kong Two went in a completely different direction. It's like, no, we're we're gonna we're gonna get the pop punk crowd. Uh, this is like, for, for Donkey Kong, like, what are you doing? Like, I, I I don't even know. Like, I would say this was Nintendo's answer to Guitar Hero, but when did Guitar Hero first come out? Uh, Guitar Hero first came out in two thousand five. So, so yeah, it predates that pretty much. It does, um, but th- that's a the I guess. The main inspiration about for it that we could see here in the West would have probably been Dance Dance Revolution, which was which was quite big at the time. Um, yeah, yeah. The in Japan though, I, wasn't there that like rhythm games had had like had quite a legacy in Japan in Japan by this point already. Right. I believe there was something right. called Taito Drum Master, which, which is basically what Donkey Konga is. Right, Na- right. Namco developed that, and then I don't know how Donkey Konga came about. Uh, if Namco pitched it to Nintendo, or if somebody from Nintendo Japan went, came to Namco and said, "Hey, we got this idea," but th- that's somebody what thought I'm, of this pun. That's what I'm really noticing. Thinking about Donkey Konga, sort of in retrospect now, uh, with the benefit of hindsight, is that it's very clearly, uh, it was very clearly a product developed for a very different market, and for that matter, a vi- like a very different demographic, even when it was localized for the West. Yeah. And, and in that sense, Reggie was absolutely right. Like, believe me, I don't like the idea of region-exclusive games. I I think we need to tear down those walls. I, I think in the, in the era of digital gaming especially, everything could be localized. Um, but I do see Reggie's point here. Because, yes, Donkey Konga swallowed up Jungle Beat. And, and maybe Jungle Beat wouldn't have come about if the DK Bongos hadn't existed already, but what we're talking about here is what if we had just released Jungle Beat in the Americas and not released 
the Congas? How would that have been perceived? How would that have affected Donkey Kong's reputation in the Americas? And I, I feel like Donkey Kong got, it, it's not solely responsible for what happened to the Donkey Kong brand. Oh no, that, that was that of, was a lot more factors than just than just Donkey Kong. I agree. Yes, but when the the impressionable youth viewed the Donkey Kong series of this era, Donkey Kong would have come to mind first and foremost. And then outside of Donkey Konga, you know, Donkey, Diddy, eventually Dixie, Funky, and others would go on to appear in Mario games from, well, I mean, from from then to the present day. But it was especially egregious in the era of 2003 to 2010, where you had, I mean, this was the heyday of Mario sports games and side games, and... You had every sport imaginable, and you would have the Kongs routinely appear as characters. And it never felt special like it did when Donkey Kong was in Mario Kart 64, and Rare got a special credit for it in the <laughs> in the credits. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think I would am- I I can't speak for, like, everybody who grew up in that time, but I think that the GameCube generation sort of... When they thought of Donkey Kong, that's probably what they would have thought of first. They would have thought about Donkey Kong's appearances in Mario Sports titles or Double Dash or um, Mario Party because they just they they just they just kept making them. They just they, every single year, just a new Mario Party. We just we couldn't believe, get enough of it. Oh, believe I I know. <laughs> but if they thought about Donkey Kong in terms of in terms of its own brand. Then yeah, I would. It would be the DK Bongos and the game most associated with the DK Bongos, Donkey Konga, which, which was faff. It, it, it was lightweight, silly nonsense in in the minds of not not just like Mario fans, but the the Nintendo gamers with a chip on their shoulder, of who, which there were many. Wanted, yes, <laughs> who wanted Nintendo to be taken seriously. And, and that's why they, they elevated Metroid Prime and, and other things to, like, this is our Halo killer. And, what, no, Metroid Prime is its own thing. It does, don't, don't make these comparisons. But then, of course, that brought, became a whole different sort of drama, you know, a decade later, uh, which, which we don't need, we don't <laughs> need to discuss. But, and sure, Sure, this was also the era in which we had Rare's Donkey Kong Country Remix for the Game Boy Advance. And we had Payon's games. And Payon's games all sold relatively weakly. Because again, they were side dishes without a main course. Jungle Beat was the main course, but it it got drowned out by Donkey Konga. And, And the DKC GBA trilogy was the only thing to really weather this era. And it brought in enough sales... That it convinced Nintendo, hey, I guess this should be the direction of Donkey Kong. I, 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 I guess you know nothing else really sticks, and yeah, and, and Jungle I mean, Beat I, would have stuck had it not been for you know Konga. I don't think it's any mystery or any surprise that when we when we encounter you know fans who who got into the series in that era, you know, I mean, not that the Pay On games don't have their fans, not that um, not that even Donkey Konga doesn't have its fans, but I would say 99 times out of 100, their, like, entry point, their formative idea of what of what Donkey Kong was, was the GBA remakes. 
Yeah, uh, it's amazing how many people on DK Vine who, who who are in the community, on our forum, follow us on social media, you know, reply in the comments. They discovered this series through the Game Boy Advance games, the, the yeah, GBA exactly. remake trilogy. And I mean, that so, made those games so much more important than we realized at the time, because at the time we were, we were like, uh, you know, I mean, like, not that we were unappreciative of them. Not that not that people didn't gen- didn't generally like them all right, but mm. there was always this feeling like okay, th- this is fine. It's 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 cool to get these on handheld, uh, but you know, is this is is this it? Is is this is this all we're getting? And I think there was there was a tendency to kind of dismiss them, and then meanwhile, like you said, the Nintendo fans with the chip on their shoulders saying, "Well, look at this. Rare was never good." Yeah. And, and then, you know, behind the scenes, that got the wheels in motion for Donkey Kong Country Returns. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we we didn't realize it at the time, but the the extremely lucrative sales of especially that first DKC GBA remake uh, really spurred things into motion. And then seven years later, we got Donkey Kong Country Returns. And, and Donkey Kong was the big holiday release once again for Nintendo that year so so yeah i mean I those mean, those gba remakes were important in like uh in the sense of like the series like chronology and where it was going but also in terms of its legacy i mean just because yeah. it meant that the next generation of donkey kong fans had a lot of the same formative experiences that we did albeit much more brightly colored and you know knowing what we know about reggie now and the mood towards Donkey Konga, perhaps among some of his other contemporaries at Nintendo of America, does this shed new light on why the villains of Donkey Kong Country Returns are ostensibly <laughs> musical instruments? <laughs> yeah, the 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 meta plot of Returns turns out to be that we're we're evicting the Donkey Kong the Donkey Konga bongos and influence from the series. I mean. I mean, sort of, it is. Yeah. I mean, the, the Tiki Tac tribe, the, the, the priests, they're all musical instruments, and, and bongos are included in that. And uh, I, I've actually fan-wanked and made the connection that, hey, the DK bongos are probably, in-universe, this Tiki Tac tribe artifact. Ooh, I like you that. You know, that, that Donkey Diddy find. And uh, it, it, it kind of adds up. But it, there is sort of that meta-commentary there, if you look hard enough, like... We we kind of like made that connection back when the game came out, but now that we know that there was this behind the scenes strife related to Donkey Konga, kind of adds up. I don't know. I'm just saying. Uh, and of course, you know, Returns then sold well enough to get us Tropical Freeze, which was hurt more by the Wii U being the absolute financial clusterfuck that it was. Um, and then the series went into hibernation because Retro moved on and, and Donkey Kong did begin development under another studio in a project that ultimately went nowhere. Uh, plans changed. And, you know, if, if what we've heard is to be believed, Nintendo has moved Donkey Kong development internally for the first time since Jungle Beat. Uh, but also, more importantly, along with brand management really for the first time since rare uh they they actually have internal team now making sure that donkey kong's brand and message stays on point 
perhaps to avoid, you know, the very inconsistent grab bag that was Donkey Kong during this era. And that's, I mean, that's, you know, I know this has been in place for a couple of years now, but that's always been just so, so reassuring to hear because, yeah, I mean, a whole, not to, not, not, not to a person, not to everyone, but the, the sort of public consciousness of what Donkey Kong was, was defined as more of a, more of an ancillary Mario character than anything for the better part of 10 years. So the fact that they're taking that they have been taking so like steps to avoid that being that being the perception donkey yeah, Kong, donkey kong know, is is irrevocably related to the mario series and vice versa but right. to define the brands each as their own separate things with their own identities and their own uh their own histories and their own characters that's that, that i mean that's what we that's what we always wanted back then and I think to a certain generation, the generation who came of age during this time and, and maybe didn't necessarily have the GBA games, the, the remake trilogy, as their guiding light or, you know, didn't have the exposure of DK Vine, they're always going to associate them as Mario characters first and foremost, just like we always associate them as rare characters first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, But I think moving forward especially as we enter this new era of Donkey Kong that we, is still not quite defined because we don't really have any fruits to, of the labor yet. But as we enter the, the era of the new game, of the theme park, of perhaps the Donkey Kong movie, um, you're, you're going to see more in line with Donkey Kong being its own thing again. I, I think it's going to repair the long-term damage that this era did of... Donkey Kong losing its identity. And um, so there is light at the end of the tunnel, but. (laughs) And we'll be having way more discussions about how, about how any of this relates to Banjo-Kazooie. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, I I do think Reggie has a point as much as it pains me to uh, give him his due here. I mean, he was right. Donkey Kong did sort of negatively impact Donkey Kong brand. For a time, and and still kind of impacts it to this day, although maybe less so than it did pre Donkey Kong Country Returns. And I just I think uh, it's so interesting that this is where his mind went because I looked it up. Reggie became like Reggie came on board with Nintendo in December of two thousand three, the same month that Donkey Kongo would have come out in Japan. So. I've got to imagine that discussions surrounding whether or not Donkey Konga should be localized and brought to the West, like, that may have been one of the relatively first things that he did uh, once he came on yeah. board with Nintendo. Yeah, well, welcome to Nintendo. Yeah. Handsome these bongos. <laughs> <laughs> so, we've got a few calls. Because obviously people had to speak their mind on this. Uh, so we're, we're going to play those. We're, we're going to engage with them. And then we're going to wrap this up. Hopefully on, on a more positive note. Because I, I feel like we've been getting a bit more negative than I have been in quite a long time here. I mean, you bring it. <laughs> see, that's a, you said we're not here to dunk on Donkey Konga. No, but I mean... We start thinking about this era and we start we we bring ourselves back to how it felt at the time and it's it's a little difficult not to go there. 
it it's it's all in good humor, right? Like it doesn't anger me anymore. Um and, and I can laugh about it and embrace it as part of our heritage as a fandom, as as a franchise. You know, I I don't want to decanonize Donkey Konga. It came out. It exists. Let's let's laugh at it together and have fun with it. And, you know, acknowledge it. Uh it's it's just it's just an amusing what if, mm. right? Like what 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 if it hadn't been released outside of Japan? What would have things looked like? I think it's an interesting discussion that I honestly haven't thought of full bore until this interview with G4 and, and Reggie put thought in my head. And then I was, I was like looking at the alternate history and I was like, Hmm, that, that is interesting. So especially as it relates to jungle beat, which uh, I am a big fan of now. So Kyle, basically what you're telling me here is that you believe that if donkey Konga had not come out in the U S then John Kerry would have won the presidential election that year. Oh, the whole makeup of the Supreme Court would... Okay, let's not go there, <laughs> let's though. Not go there. Let's let's <laughs> Let's just play the calls. Uh, yes, I was wondering uh, if you thought that using licensed music in the uh, Mongo games hurt it or helped it in the long run. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for the call. Short and sweet exactly and unnamed. Yes. Uh, by the way, uh, so I, I get a transcript of every call. So I get to read that before I actually, actually play it. And uh, uh, let, let, me, let me try to read this for you here. Um, so this is what the transcript read for this call. Yes, I was wondering if you thought that using licensed music in The Hunger Games <laughs> hurt it or helped it in the long run. Thank you very much. So I saw that transcript and I was like, is this a crank call? What what is this? And then I played it and it's like, oh, bongo games. Apparently, uh Google's translating service doesn't recognize bongo games as a standard part of their vernacular. I mean that I, that I goes to show that Reggie was right right there. <laughs> uh so do, do I think it hurt it or helped in the long run it probably helped it in the short term and and just torpedoed it in the long run uh especially when they tried to go all in for donkey konga 2 like i i know it's perhaps wistful thinking wishful and wistful to think that had they only used the music of david wise and grant kirkhope and and you know, em- embrace the legacy, uh, the beautiful legacy of Donkey Kong music. If they had only done that instead of ditties, ditties, and everything else therein, um, things would have been different. Like, I-, I don't think it ultimately matters much. That's but... kind of that's kind of where my thoughts lie. By the way, yeah, um, Donkey Konga would have sold, I think, on the novelty of it. The first one, at least. But I, I think it would have made me held up more had they actually used video game music and, and video game music that was relevant to the video game series it was released under. I think that tonal inconsistency with the first one, especially that whiplash you got from track to track, probably hurt it more than anything and made it more more of just like this weird 
slightly upsetting novelty. Although I do want to like, I, I feel like somebody's going to correct us if we don't say this. Wasn't like I, I, I have this memory of of like being like put off by this yet again that the one piece of Donkey Kong adjacent music that was in it was the DK rap, but it wasn't even the DK sixty four version. It was the smash. It was yeah. the version from Melee. Yeah, it, it was the Melee version. It was in there, as was that beloved piece of Donkey Kong music, the Donkey Conga theme. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I guess hey, that technically counts. Conga. Yeah, Donkey Conga. The thing I love about the Donkey Conga theme, Josh, mm-hmm. is that it ends <laughs> with uh, the lyric, play more, question mark, as if, like, of course you'll want to play more. It's Donkey Conga. It, it's like... This one instance of the game thinking it's shit smells like roses. Okay. <laughs> I, okay. I, this is, this may be a little bit too much, too much of a personal anecdote, but I have a memory very associated with uh-huh. that song. Um, we'd come back from Christmas break. I was outside of my high school. I was t- explaining to my best friend what Donkey Konga was all about. That song has that section in it where it talks about, Donkey Konga one time and then you clap then it does two times and it does three mm-hmm. times. I remember telling him that that song made me wish that there was some sort of a big cinder block attachment attached to the bongos and that every time one time it would just come up and smash me in the head. <laughs> and and that is how I felt about Donkey Konga as a 16 year old. That the game would yeah. have been better if it had caused me massive cranial trauma. So some of the other tracks, by the way, in the the North American version of Donkey Konga, we've got Louie Louie, very timely song for the 2004 crowd, for the youth of 2004, On the Road Again by Willie Nelson, Uh, Right Here, Right Now by Jesus Jones, Rock Lobster by the B-52s, Rock This Town by the Stray Cats. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, like you, you were talking about, it's, it's trying it, it, it's trying to have a little something for everyone. Yeah, that's the yeah. other problem is that I guess it does that, but it's only a little something. Like I, you compare that to like Guitar Hero right. or Rock Band later, which also eventually had just a massive, massive music library of like lots of different genres. But like, what is it like 20 songs here? So like... Whatever resonates with you, you're not going to get much of it. Also, like, Rock Band, and, you know, Rock Band will also have its, like, big, like, license, like, packs and, and games. Like, Beatles Rock Band was was a huge deal. Um, but it, Rock Band makes sense, right? Because mm-hmm. you have the different instruments, you're playing, you're, you're emulating a rock band, it doesn't really make much sense to play Mozart's Turkish March <laughs> on bongo drums, does it? Or all the small things. That was my favorite one, by the things. way. That that was one of the few yeah. that I'd actually play. So so there there are a couple tracks I I do enjoy. Oyokomova by Santana. De- definitely I, I, I think that kind of fits the bongos. Uh, for whatever reason, I liked Whip It by Devo. That one was fun, uh, yeah. I just like that Devo, of, of all things, got into the DKU. 
Wild Thing by the Trogs, uh, John Moxley's theme in AEW. True, yeah. Was in Donkey Konga. Yeah, so. This was embarrassingly probably where I first heard it. Uh, I first heard it. This is even more embarrassing. I first heard it uh, because they did an altered version of it for the animated Swamp Thing <laughs> series in the early 90s. But instead of Wild Thing, of course, it was Swamp Thing. I don't understand how that's embarrassing. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I mean, it was. <laughs> but imagine my confusement when then uh, my, my dad was listening to the oldie station and I heard Wild Thing. And I was like, oh, Swamp Thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. You and, know, and I, he, I do remember that like, feeling where it's like you find out that something you like, your dad knows about uh-huh. it. And you're like, what? Yeah. Usually it was like Animaniacs or Simpsons references mm-hmm. to to broader pop culture which is be would be how i would learn about things before my time um but i would first know it in the context of those shows so. and then i would typically learn about pop culture things when dk vine referenced those things <laughs> right <laughs> and i i've gone i've gone on about this recently but i hate that i've now passed the age where I, 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 the references I make are precocious and before my time. Now I just look like an old man to people. <laughs> but like, no, that is actually before my time. I'm not referencing 60s rock because I was actually around in the 60s. Like, yeah, it's like, right. I'm like, at the time I was like, well, I don't really understand what the moon man is, but it, it must be something interesting. Yeah, and then and then the alt right co opted it uh, as a racist symbol. It'll always be DK Vine to me. Mm, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, thank you for the call, unknown. Caller. I don't know how we got Let's there go. from his question, but oh well. Uh yeah. We. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess to answer the question, no, but it didn't help either. Yeah, there you go. All right. All right. Next call. Hey, DK Vaughn, Rick here. Uh, so to answer the question, if the brand was hurt, for me personally, as a kid, I guess I'd have to say yes, it was. Mostly just because I loved, uh, as a kid, I had Country 3, and I loved Donkey Kong 64. But when it came to the GameCube, I, I didn't touch Donkey Kong. I basically didn't play another Donkey Kong game until Country Returns. And a lot of that came down to I, I knew the bongos existed. I remembered seeing them like in a mall or something. But as you know, as a kid who relied on their parents to buy them games, I wasn't going to ask my parents to buy me this uh, peripheral. This I don't I don't know how much it costs, but it just it just wasn't going to happen. And it didn't. It looked neat, but I you know just for me, it just it just wasn't. So I think it was super unfortunate that that was a long stretch of time that I didn't get to really experience Donkey Kong. I could have, but as a kid, I, I didn't really see the handheld games and all that. Um, but, yeah, that, that's just my two cents on it. You know, I'm glad Donkey Kong's doing so much better now. Um, yeah, that, that's all I got. Thanks, guys. Can't wait to listen. Bye. Hey, thanks for the call, Rick. That's the spirit. Donkey Kong is doing so much better now. I, I know... The mood can get bleak when we go so long without the new game being announced. Wah, wah, but wah. I, <laughs> yeah, not that, not that bleak. But 
Um, yeah, I mean, it, you, you look at the, the big picture right now. Yes, Donkey Kong is doing better. Good things are ahead. I, I don't want to belabor it again. We are, we are, we are here last May, Josh, yeah. talking about it. <laughs> it's always and sunny in Donkey Kong country. With pitchforks. People came at me with pitchforks come E3. So it'll happen when it happens. But, um, you know, that, that Rick brings up a good point. Like we've, we've talked about those who were kids during the GameCube era got into gaming during that era. And this is the first impression they had of Donkey Kong. But what of those who, got into the games either from Super Nintendo or N64 and then fell off because there were no Donkey Kong games to pique their interest during this era. Obviously, Rick uh, isn't one of those because he's calling into the conversation in 2022. He found his way back, Mm -hmm. but how many people just left and never came back? Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty telling, too, that I remember a couple of years ago, and when I say a couple at this point, I mean like like six or seven, I felt like there was this big upswing of appreciation for DK64. And I think what that yeah. was coming from was like people who were, you know, a little bit just just barely younger than me who like that was their entry into the series. And it's pretty telling, I think, that like we said earlier, it's not like nothing none none of the donkey kong games that came out on the gamecube have seen any sort of a like reappraisal in that sense there there's nobody clamoring for like the ret- i mean i'm sure somebody is of course but you know what i mean there's no like massive amount of people clamoring for the like the return of donkey konga it, it's it's the star wars prequel syndrome that you see where the 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 youth who grew up with that come of age and then and then all of a sudden you have all these reevaluations. well it wasn't so bad you know that i I, it was actually quite good there are things worthy of celebrating in that uh donkey kong 64 yeah we definitely saw that and you're right like jungle beat has come the closest but that's more so like the those who shit on it back when it came out reevaluating it and saying hey actually yeah it's actually pretty good yeah i i don't um, know if i've ever even seen somebody who has like nostalgic memories of playing jungle beat as a kid i think part of the problem too with jungle beat is it's so tied to the dk bongo bongo peripheral which unless you have the dk bongos and the hardware that utilizes them you know you can't really experience it there's a new play control version for the wii but that kind of took all the fun out of it um in my opinion oh i i will i will defend new play control i like new like that was actually how i finally did first play jungle beat and uh, i think it's it's a very it's surprisingly a very different game but i i think that it yeah like it's good on its own merits as well but i i can see why why you prefer either one I'll, I'll allow it oh <laughs> I, I i won't fight you on that uh but yeah i mean it it, it is mar- marrying donkey kong and the brand to the bongos during this era i mean it's, it's not like we're ever going to see donkey konga um on nintendo switch online if there's ever a gamecube functionality for it. we're never going to see if if any variation of the eShop, you know with with uh the virtual console you know if we ever get a robust library going there donkey kong won't be on there you know it and and as a result jungle bee won't be either i know they patented dk bongos or what looks to be dk bongos for the switch some time ago but 
we haven't seen anything come to fruition from that. I mean, they would, might have would just been them covering their bases. Would I like for them to re-release Jungle Beat and put like a new round of like bongo peripherals back into the production pipeline? Of course. I mean, they have the yeah. they have the functionality for it already with the with the GameCube adapter. But yeah. <laughs> do I think it'll actually happen? Absolutely not. And do I want Donkey Kong married to the bongos, where you feel like every Donkey Kong game has to utilize bongo? No, of course but not. But I think the caller brought up a good point uh, there, too, is that the cost of entry was higher because of the bongo peripheral. I don't remember yeah. exactly how much Donkey Kong retailed for, but I want to say it was like 70 or 80 maybe? 70 or $80? dollars I obviously, you know, didn't see it in monetary terms because it was it was Donkey Kong and I had to buy it. Um, so it it was it wasn't like I was I was you know buying much else in the way of games. Although I was a lot, I I did buy more back in that day, that era, than I do today. Where now my purchasing habits are exclusively DKU. Yeah, I was thinking um, earlier. I remember the day that the buyout happened and we all saw that that video announcing the sale. I was like, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, Heil's gonna buy an Xbox. <laughs> There's no doubt about You're that. Right? Like, uh, I think I waited. Um, actually, I I got an Xbox. I got an Xbox for my birthday that year. Yeah. No, it was September, and then November I got an Xbox. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just just on the promise of Rare. There's no question in my mind. And and I never got into Xbox. I never embraced it. Like, I wanted to. You know, I, I wanted to be the Xbox because that's where Rare was, you know. And that's where my heart was. But I didn't really embrace Xbox until the Xbox One. Uh, that That's really when it became my home console. We're, we're, not, we're not analyzing how Master Chief might actually be part of the DKU. No. <laughs> Definitely not. No. Um... Anyway, uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks for the call, Rick, because that's that's an interesting perspective that we haven't touched upon. The the pre existing Donkey Kong fan who wasn't like an adult yet, who uh, who couldn't swing the the DK bongos or wasn't going to extort their parents for it. And yeah, that's. Interesting. I, I, that, that's that's the thing too about these discussions is we come at it from the one perspective, but when you're a certain age, when when you're a, a kid or a teenager, just the span of a couple of years feel much longer. Mm-hmm. We, we've talked about you know how when you're a kid, two three years feels like a lifetime, and how much can change over that, and how experiences can differ just for kids a few years younger than you oh yeah that like that's so that's something i've been thinking about a lot lately like like my wife for example is like four and a half years younger than me which makes mm-hmm. absolutely no difference now but because of that like this time period that we're talking about where i was kind of, i felt kind of alienated and i felt kind of like uh, a, a little bit ostracized from gaming and i was very very dismissive of the gamecube like for her like the early part of that anyway was still like part of her childhood so <laughs> she has a yeah. very very different perspective on it than i do my my go-to that i that i always bring up is spongebob oh yeah um when Sponge, spongebob premiered 
I had stopped watching Nickelodeon. I, I was, I felt like I was too old for Nickelodeon. It wasn't speaking to me anymore. And so SpongeBob, it was this thing. I was like, ah, oh, whatever. It's not going to be as good as Rocco. No. Rocco's <laughs> Modern Life was. And I was like, whatever. This is stupid. It's not going to last. And uh, now I'm the fool. Exactly. Because I didn't watch SpongeBob or Shrek. Everybody, I watch Shrek. I watch Shrek. Yeah, I, I watch Shrek again if you like it so much. I knew, I knew and loved Smash Mouth as All Star. Speaking of Donkey Konga, for years and years <laughs> before Shrek, even no, not actually. Okay, it was only about two years, but again, at that time, it seems like a long time. I, yeah, yeah. I was the perfect age to still be a child, and yet no All Star before Shrek. <laughs> Well, hey now, we have one more call. <laughs> hey now. So, <laughs> let's play it and uh, hear what somebody once told me. Hi, Highland Josh. This is Thomas of the Kremlin Campaigners. Great to see you both back together again for another conversation installment. I would not have had on my 2022 bingo card that a book-hawking Reggie fils would kick off a news cycle around Donkey Konga's brand impact. It's been thought-provoking reading different people weigh in on what it means to actually hurt a brand and whether such a thing is even possible with a property as iconic to the mainstream as Donkey Kong. Talking about DK's brand in the mid-2000s feels as much a question of what wasn't developed during that time as what was. There are definitely myths to pick with Donkey Konga, but if that spinoff came out in its current form in the middle of Retro's time with the series or in close proximity to DK Switch, I honestly think I'd be on board with it. Experimental titles in and of themselves I don't think are bad things, so long as they don't throw the series' babies out with the bathwater. Which brings me to my question. You both have spoken about this battle for DK's soul during the GameCube era. Why do you think that battle happened in the first place? What about the DK franchise coming off of Rare's successful output led the powers that be at the time to say, you know what, let's not do that again. We need to mix things up. There seemed to have been this tacit acknowledgement from the top down within Nintendo that DK could do better as far back as Returns with Rare's E3 remarks about making DK magic again and now Nintendo EPD's coming revitalization. Why wasn't that awareness of what made DK magic apparent from the start? I'm curious to get both of your thoughts and optimistic that DK fans will have content to get excited about in the year to come. Cheers. Thank you. Thomas of the Kremlin campaigners. Well, he's so well spoken. I, I enjoyed that. Yes, yes, much more well spoken than I am. After two and a half hours of podcasting, uh, um, uh, and ciders. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, I think that you know, obviously, at the time, we we ascribe malicious intent for, for why they were trying all sorts of different things. Miyamoto put on his Grim because... Reaper costume and went and went over to Twycross <laughs> and made them change Dinosaur Planet. You know, just one Halloween, I would love to see Miyamoto dress up as the Grim Reaper because I think he can rock that robe. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think he looks good in it. Um, no, I... I think it's honestly just because for the first time in nearly a decade, uh, they could go different directions with Donkey Kong. And maybe there was uncertainty about what Donkey Kong should be without Rare. Because Nintendo is very much this, this respectful company culture um, 
at least in Nintendo of Japan, where if a different team is working on a property, then another team that had really like made it their own, well, you shouldn't repeat what that team is doing because that's being disrespectful to what they did, up to and including many of the characters they utilized. So, whereas we saw malicious intent for Dunk Kong Jungle Beat not using Diddy Kong or, or Rambi or even the Kremlins, they saw it as, well, this is a game much different than Donkey Kong Country, so we don't want to disrespect Donkey Kong Country characters by putting them in it. I disagree with that notion, but I understand it. It's just a completely different mindset than what... I think we're used to, especially fans are used to, because fans want to be serviced. It's it's why the Payon games were so easily embraced, despite being good games. They were embraced before they even came out because they were loaded with fan service, which was unusual um, at that time, and honestly, still is unusual today. And I and I think that so, there, there's a difference there too. Because, like, what one person might see is just, well, this is just nostalgia pandering. Like, I think fan service in some circles has kind of taken on uh, a very negative connotation because, like, mm-hmm. pop culture itself has become so, um, so incredibly self referential. But I think if you're a fan of a property, then that property looking like and feeling like itself sometimes like having those familiar elements is is very critical in that and you know like you said with the jungle beat part of the reason that it didn't that it didn't hit the that like even putting that putting the interview aside which i know that was like where so much of that feeling came from but because it didn't have those hallmarks of like of like the Donkey Kong Country series, that was part of the reason that it didn't resonate with us at the time, anyway. Yeah, yeah, and I said like you know, one of the redeeming factors of Donkey Kong was I got to see Ellie the elephant dance around. So I mean, if I didn't have that, what what would I be talking about? <laughs> it, it's like what might seem like nostalgia pandering or pure fan service to somebody might feel like, well, this is just the series finally embracing its own legacy and being what it's supposed to be to someone else. Sure. Mm-hmm. I, it's a big... That's why K. Rule in Smash was such a big deal. Um, it, it just it just felt... Uh, it felt so good to have that, to have that acknowledgement that, hey, the main villain of your series, he does matter. <laughs> But yeah, I, I I think it's because there was that lack of brand management, honestly, that I think Nintendo realizes that that we got so many different takes because, yes, Donkey Konga did hurt the brand, at, at least in the West. In Japan, it might not have mattered, right? Um, but But especially where Western gaming was at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it definitely, you look at Diddy's Diddy's, you, you hear Diddy's Diddy's and you, you look at where gaming culture was in 2004. Yeah. Yeah. It it probably did some damage to Donkey Kong's reputation. I mean, it's, it's easy for us to say as fans, and maybe this is too much of a reach, but it is like, it is easy to imagine a game 
that like a 3D Donkey Kong game that sort of takes after the tone of DKC2 more doing some good for Nintendo's image around that time. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Cuz like like we just said cuz the, the real bastard of it, Josh, is that a few years are a lifetime to a child. The formative years where your taste can be developed that 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 you hold true throughout your 20s into your 30s perhaps and donkey konga was what defined donkey kong more than anything else except for maybe best case scenario the mario appearances is what defined donkey kong to the gamecube generation and i i think you could as thomas said do a donkey konga if it came out between two major Donkey Kong games, you know, you, you look at, you look at offbeat weirdo side games like Hey You Pikachu or Pokemon Snap. Yeah, that's a good example. And, and th- th- those are embraced and beloved, but they weren't crowding out legitimate Pokemon games, right? They, they were just these ancillary things. Obviously, riding the uh the money train they're cash cows but they're warmly at least pokemon snap is warmly embraced and beloved um and i think donkey konga could have been too maybe it would have had to make some different choices for sure yeah <laughs> um but i mean i'm all for that i i don't want people to come away with the impression that i don't want games like donkey konga that dare to be different that give us a different taste of Donkey Kong. I want there to be side games again. But the timing was uniquely wrong for Donkey Kong. Because for all the reasons I listed near the top of this episode, you know, absent anything else except for a bongo platformer, Donkey Kong in name only Mario handheld games with the Mario vs. Donkey Kong series... Payons, peg swingers, and endless cameos in the Mario games, um, and remakes of beloved games from a studio that didn't even control the direction of Donkey Kong anymore. It, that's Donkey Konga really set the tone, and that's—I mean—that's what's so crazy about it. Even more so in retrospect, is that like the world was awash in Donkey Kong content. <laughs> yeah. The amount of Donkey Kong games we were getting in the buyout era was was far greater than what we get these days, and and it was absolutely. But it just like I, I think in retrospect, you can kind of see this, like what you're saying about DK having an identity crisis or the battle for its soul, or more more less melodramatically, just Nintendo trying to figure out what to do with the series and what direction to take it. Like we can kind of retrospectively see this as. Um, indicative of of that very concept that that the whole series was just such a grab bag of different ideas and different directions and different gameplay styles. Yeah, and and it's it's when you throw too much at the wall, hoping something will stick. Sometimes the weight of it all just makes it all come crashing down. <laughs> but despite how despite all that, like none of it was none of it was scratching that itch. I think was the issue. I think. Had mm-hmm. Jungle Beat been in a little bit of a different context, perhaps it sort of could have. 
Um, <clears throat> but nothing was scratching the itch that, that I think people had, and that certainly the fandom had, for Donkey Kong to be like to be on the level it it had been previously that it had been as recently as 1999 when DK64 came out. Yeah, and, and then you know you you have the the younger generation who didn't have an introduction to Donkey Kong, a proper introduction to Donkey Kong during that era. You had for the Ricks who maybe didn't have that continuation anything to hang on to to carry on their fandom from the DKC games or Donkey Kong 64. And, and so you just had, I mean, what, what was it B- between like rare leaving in 2002, but honestly there was Donkey Kong country for the game boy color in 2000. Donkey Kong 64 was the last big new Donkey Kong game before the rare buyout. So between 1999 and 2010, Unless you were fortunate enough to get Jungle Beat or to, you know, enjoy the GBA games, there there, there was nothing for Donkey Kong, at, at least on the same level there used to be. But and, but it was also just a, just an affectation of the market itself changing, of, of like, what yeah. gamers wanted changing. Like, I don't know... It goes back to what we were talking about at the start of the episode: how the whole syntax of what of what a, of what great games needed to be was was evolving and changing. And I I don't know if by the middle the middle of the two thousands a platformer a platforming game was ever going to be able to reach that level again. And we had lots of trouble coming to terms with that. Oh, absolutely! I still do. yeah, for <laughs> I still do, but I. Like lo- looking at things more positively mm-hmm. as we wrap things up here, knowing that Reggie had these problems and that I'm sure other people had their problems with it, it, it maybe recontextualizes things like, again, the Tiki Tac tribe, right? Um, but I also think Nintendo in general sort of gets it. You know, Donkey Kong. Has has the new brand management. They have there there is an alleged Donkey Kong team. They uh, they helped with Donkey Kong Adventure. You know U- Ubisoft uh, their their expansion to Mario plus Rabbit's Kingdom Battle. Uh, that that's one of the the one identifiable things we know they contributed to. I I get the sense that there is some sort of control going on with things like appearances in mario games from now like what they're allowed to do even things like mario kart tour that have dixie and funky kong in it there seems to be some measured uh, lower c conservative aspects to how the kongs are portrayed there because you know mario kart tour josh is a game that just goes wild with character variants and you get Luigi holding a big sausage, you know. <laughs> Do you and, really? And you get, yeah, yeah, like that is a that is a character in the game. Luigi and later Hosen holding up a big sausage. That is a character. Jeez. Um, you, you you they just added you know Doctor Mario and Doctor Luigi to the game, but you you had Farmer Princess Daisy, and, and you had uh, Tulip Grower 
Rosalina. And uh, that was when the, they went to Amsterdam. And it's just, just, it's just ins- insanity. But they have refrained from doing that with the Kongs. There is just Donkey Kong, Diddy Kong, Dixie Kong, Funky Kong. And then the one variant is Donkey Kong Jr., but they only portray him in the retro style from Super Mario Kart. Yeah, they, the 2D they sprite. They haven't made a new 3D model. Yeah, they haven't made a new 3D model for him. And I think that's because the Donkey Kong brand management says, hey, you, we, you can't use Donkey Kong Jr. in a modern context. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. You can use them in this like clearly retro throwback sense this 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 kind of reminds me of how in the in last year's mario golf game some characters have special golfing outfits donkey kong is just his usual tie wearing self yeah and and i know people are going to bring up like well what about uh the new strikers game where donkey kong is is decked out in futuristic soccer plane here where he looks like a cyborg and i think that's just more the bombastic style of strikers getting to override anything else but i do think there there is definite care maybe uh over an overabundance of caution being put into things but i also look at another game that came out right around the time of donkey kong adventure which i believe that this this careful uh, management of Donkey Kong was also in play, and that's Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. And that game, by God, actually changed Donkey Kong's Final Smash for the first time since Final Smashes were introduced. Donkey Kong's Final Smash used to be him playing the DK Bongos. And, and it was the case in Brawl and in Super Smash Brothers for Nintendo 3DS and Wii U. It changed it uh, in, in Ultimate to him unleashing a, a flurry of fist, right? Right. So I don't know if that that was saying, hey, we want to get away from the association <laughs> with, with Donkey Konga. Well, it changed it very specifically, if, if I'm remembering right, to being a Donkey Kong Jungle Beat reference, actually. Yeah, yeah. Wh- which, you know, I, I think we're still going to have Jungle Beat reference. I mean, the, the returns duology retro's duology still references jungle beat in in much the same way with with the 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 flurry the 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 bombastic let me beat up the boss at the very end of the boss fight sequences so i mean i like i i think they they are kind of cognizant of what maybe conga kind of did to donkey kong's brand and and maybe they want to get away from that i that's just a theory but it kind of adds up when you look at the timeline of everything. So I, I, I think if Donkey Konga did hurt Donkey Kong's identity, and I think it did in some sense, but it's more of a broader problem. It, it, it was more like death by a thousand cuts than just one main laceration. Um, I think we, if we look to the present and what's happening with Donkey Kong, we have every reason to be optimistic they won't go down the same path. Oh, again. I totally agree. And honestly, more so than Smash, I think the Donkey Kong Adventure mode in Mario vs. Rabbids is the best indication of that. Because, correct me if I'm wrong here, like Mario, no, 
like none of Mario, like Mario himself, never goes up in that DLC, does he? No. And and what's interesting is that they th- this is the first game that actually agrees with DK Vine's assertion that Donkey Kong Island is in a separate dimension from the Mushroom Kingdom. And that, like, that's the that's the main takeaway for me is that there's this clear distinction that while Mario and Donkey Kong can cross over, they are their own separate things, and they often do cross yeah, over. But but you like Donkey Kong is not being promoted under the Mario brand anymore. Really not. Um, you you even think back to when they introduced the Super Mario movie cast. Mm-hmm. You know, Miyamoto came out, and he they even made a special point saying, even though it's a Mario movie, Donkey Kong will be appearing in this. Like, like it was a special yeah. case. <laughs> like, we're making an exception here. And I thought that was interesting because, you know, everybody of this era would have thought, well, Donkey Kong's just a Mario character. Of course he'll be in it. But take a good hard look at some of the merchandise coming out nowadays. It's rare that Donkey Kong will appear in it, and if he does, Mario merchandise, that is, if he does, they usually have, like, a very special exception. And and it's, yeah, things are changing, even if we can't really see it yet until we get the new game and we truly enter this new era of Donkey Kong. But, yeah, we're, we're, we're no longer beholden to the same rules we were when donkey konga came out so shall we shall we wrap it up shall we <laughs> shall we answer shall we address reggie reggie and what he said one more time uh yeah but we'll recover from it <laughs> it's it's fine and and honestly like i know we've been hard on donkey konga this episode i i know we've been hard on this era yet again but I do appreciate Donkey Konga for what it is. I can't say I hate it. Uh, I might hate Donkey Konga too, just a bit. But uh, Donkey Konga, you know, it, it's it's just one of those things. Like part of being a fan of something, especially something that is long running, is sometimes you've got to embrace the bad that will inevitably come. You don't have to like it or warmly embrace it. It doesn't have to be your go-to reference but i think it's fun this the runaway snowball that is being a fan of something that spans years into decades is you're going to accrue some uh some rough pebbles along the way and i think it just builds character i i think it's it's kind of fun to go back and say yeah that's part of it i mean as a sonic fan oh yeah (laughs) As a as a Sonic fan, you you probably know that better than uh, even Donkey Kong fans do. God, I don't I don't even. This has been a File Two production. Keriko. <laughs> <laughs>